And we're back, part two of our remastered take on Thor from uh, 2011 as Rob and Will remaster phase one here on Marvel vs. Marvel. Um, getting ready for our big deep dive. And in part one, Will, I think we've really, um, we've learned, I learned so much about Thor, which is a movie I thought I'd already <laughs> knew because because of having covered it, you know, years ago in a very um, shallow way. I'm going to say it. it was a shallow way. I feel I've learned um, more about Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, man, yeah, like Branagh, big book comic fan. book fan, yeah. and and it, what what a fascinating insight he had into the the making and the and the the level of involvement from Marvel Studios. What he said it was intense, constant, passionate, <laughs> passionate. which is. My new favourite quote of all time. Um, I think mine is totally unknown. <laughs> how he nearly got Daniel Craig as yeah, Thor. How he God. nearly got a Sam Raimi Thor movie in the 90s and mm. then a whole bunch of TV movie projects and nearly happened. Going behind the page and, and seeing that this is the third Thor character Jack Kirby has created. Um, and even then it was a rip-off of Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, part one is a big, big, big... Um, episode and and table laying um we know there is we know from downloads that some people don't don't they skip straight to part two maybe they do part one later i'm like that with an autobot with a biography yeah i skip straight to the bit where the person the famous person is person for what is the famous person is famous for what i know them for and then when i've done that bit and read the about the movies or the whatever i'm interested in then i'll go back and read about the history and the context maybe that's how people approach it maybe i don't know but don't sleep on part one kids Pay homage to our um, world-class wrecking crew who support us on Patreon. Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Bass DeBeer, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack David, sorry, Jack Davis, David Fan, and the newest member, Adam Joyce, oh, who has just leapfrogged <laughs> from... The, the the respectable entry-level support tier to the top of the mountain. Adam Joyce, welcome to the world-class wrecking crew, the people that matter the most, the people that keep the lights on around here. They are the ones. These, those are our, almost our executive producers. They present <laughs> the deep dive into Thor. Will, take it away. Right, let's press play. In New Mexico, astrophysicist Dr. Jane Foster is conducting an experiment in the desert at night along with her assistant Darcy Lewis and her mentor Dr. Eric Selvig. Apparently there have been concerns about atmospheric disturbances that Jane is particularly interested in, but Selvig is doubting. Suddenly, noticing something in the sky, the team sees a glaring light. This is what Jane is looking for. As they drive their van at small, full speed towards the storm coming out of the light, they accidentally hit a shadowed figure standing in the middle of it. Checking on the body, they discover a blonde-haired figure lying unconscious, and the scientists ask themselves, where did this guy come from? So I love this uh, quick setup that basically implies everything we need to know. They're scientists, Thor has been sent to Earth. <clears throat> I know it's hinted. Or, or this person. Is, yeah, yeah. I, and I think we talked about Kenneth Branagh said he really felt that for the audiences to um, be able to uh, connect with this movie mm. um, and this source material, 
Yeah. This was very necessary to start modern day Earth, modern dialogue, bit of comedy. Cat uh, Dennings is just funny throughout this movie. Oh, she's tremendous. Um, and uh, and then bang, we can go off and play in in in, in space and fantasy world. Absolutely. So, in the original stories, is Jane Foster an astrophysicist like this, or, or not? No, no. Uh, we, we, we touched on it in, in our part one, about the history of Thor, mm. and how when he begins, he is also a mortal man called Donald Blake, who is yes. a doctor. Um, and Jane Foster is his nurse, slash secretary, slash assistant. It's the 1960s, and... Here's something that's going to shock you all. Female <laughs> characters were written horribly for many, many decades. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately, Jane Foster is, is written as kind of... In, in, in basically the lowest lane figure yeah. to, to the Clark Kent Superman dynamic that is Dr. Donald Blake slash Thor. Um, so... It's horribly disabled. She feels desperately sorry for Donald Blake because we don't know what's going on with him. He's got a limp and he has a cane. Mm. Um, but it's a time when the the language and, and the thinking around that is awful. They'll repeatedly refer to him as lame, um, or they'll use the the c the c word for some disabled people, which I think is a, a slur. I, yeah. I I won't hesitate to use it. Um, I might be wrong. Maybe it's fine to use. I don't know. It doesn't feel like a good word to use. Um, and um, certainly, I've got some several friends who, uh, my, my, one of my dearest friends, um, another friend called Pete, not Peter J, but another mm. dear friend of mine, Pete Chambers, um, who has spina bifida. We went to university together. Ah, the yeah. amount of times I watched him get into drunken fights when people would use a C word towards him, I love the bones of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you'd hear that word and you go, oh, I guess there's going to be a fight now. <laughs> he would throw hands. Um, anyway. Yeah, so the, the the language around Donald Blake is, is uncomfortable and awkward and everything and horrible. Um and she keeps like she's in the Lois Lane setup from the from the, the Silver Age mm. is that Lois Lane is very much like, Oh, Clark, you weak simpering foolish why can't you be more like oh Superman? <laughs> um, and and Jane Foster does the same with in, in the Thor comics, mm. she's doing it with her disabled employer. Oh, Dr. <laughs> Donald Blake, why can't you? Because he's just got disability love. He's not a god that can fly. When you say it's... that women were written badly, then they're written as bad people. <laughs> All of it's bad, yeah. All of it's yeah. Bad, yeah. And it's just, it's just, yeah. It's so she is constantly kidnapped and put in danger she has no agency she had you know she's not a f- none of them are fully developed characters but she has no agency uh. um so this is one of the times when like for me Karen Page in the um Netflix Daredevil series mm. the updating and, a, and, and and altering of the character i feel is a net positive a big positive yeah i get that um shame when you get more of her um and i this will sound weird because she's obviously a world-renowned pretty attractive uh, you know beautiful actress i didn't i don't even think about natalie portman i watched this movie and go wow she's really great looking and i'd never really i don't know just she's not really someone i i pay attention to and i went wow she's and, and it works well with um with with uh, Hemsworth. No, I think about Natalie Portman. I've seen her in so many different roles where she's been really good. 
that it's like you don't see her as you know hey she's hot hey lads it's more like oh good she's in this i like her acting basically see, i'm not viewing her I've... as an object anymore I, oh i struggle with that with everybody um i don't know i don't think i've the for me there was a there's an old indie movie called beautiful girls which she's in when she's a very young child mm. and she's really good in that yeah um because she's a kid playing you know older than her years i don't think i've i i, I can't tell you a, a, a great natalie portman performance for a movie where i've gone oh brill Okay, Fair I just can't. I I don't. So I, I don't. She's not even on my radar. I, I you know what what should I be looking out for? I don't know now. She was good in Leon. Oh, okay. I like Leon. That's true, Leon. Yeah, when she was a kid. Yeah, yeah. she's very very good. You know, I think she was very sort of be wiser beyond her years. Very. That's how she always plays that beautiful yeah. girls and Leon. Yeah. 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 Anyway, back to the film in Tonsberg, Norway, nine nine hundred sixty five A.D. An army of frost giants attacks the humans, freezing them in ice and threatening to plunge the earth into a new ice age. But Odin, the Norse god and ruler of Asgard, arrives with an opposing army of Asgardians and battles against the icy foes. The frost giants were drawn back into their home world with their king falling and the source of their power taken from them. The casket of ancient winters. Back at Asgard, Odin tells his two sons, Thor and Loki, that one day, one of them will need to take his place and protect the Earth realm of Midgard. So more great and quick setup of Isgard, Asgard, its relation to Earth. Just great, uh, ex- not exposition, but sort of storytelling here. It is Very exposition. Yeah, 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 exposition. So I take it in the comics, there is this big war between Odin and the Frost Giants. They're basically <laughs> the main antagonist, if you will. I I I I wouldn't I wouldn't say the main antagonists no okay I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's kind of it's built up in this movie like it's a constant back and forth isn't it ah like but a struggle there, yeah yeah there there certainly is um the story of Ymir the frost giant mm. um so he uh there's a there's a whole weird connection <laughs> okay so most of the myths state Ymir is quite a central figure in these stories yeah that Asgard and the Asgardians and all people all gods have have their beginnings with the birth of the frost giant Ymir who ah. rises out of the frozen waters of the well of life and th- him rising out of the waters leads to the birth of a cow known as Odumbla <laughs> And Ordumbla is protected and nourished by Ymir's body. Right. Feeding from the ice of Ymir. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And Ordumbla gives birth to the first Asgardians from a cow, from a frost giant. Uh, Richard anyway. Dawkins is currently calling me. He's very upset by this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Ymir um, is the frost giant, as Surtur is the fire giant. Um, ah. So the kind of there's a yin and yang thing yeah, going on yeah. there. And there is, a, there is a big battle when Odin is very young. And he's there with his brothers Vili and V. And they slay Ymir, the ice giant... Um, and what they do is <laughs> so in in some stories, Odin creates a a, a chasm and he he sends uh, Ymir and his armies through this 
interdimensional nexus to other the the the, the frost giants land in Musfelheim, the the fire lands when the the demons then take the the ice mm-hmm. people as, as as prisoners and and uh, Ymir is um encircled by a um a volcanic kind of area in other stories odin and his brothers tear ymir's body apart and he's so giant they use his body to build the entire universe <laughs> so like a celestial deep dead celestial's head or something like nowhere um, similar kind of logic maybe more than like literally they stretch his body out and it becomes the fab it becomes the sky amazing That's, because it's yeah. it's all poetic and it's all yeah you know it's not based in a reality metaphor and everything I, yeah. I, was, I was playing assassin's creed valhalla and you get to go on a spirit journey to asgard and you have all these like you have loki and, and everyone else and there's this whole disconnect of wait a minute this isn't like the MCU but it's kind of is it's got, it's got all these uh, elements to it yeah. but you, you do have to fight you, you have to do <clears> fight <throat> the Jotuns and the Jotunheim and they are yeah. basically just blue people who are just a bit bigger who look yeah. a bit more vicious yeah it's, it's mad because it's just the the, uh, the the mythology cuts out the work for them so, so in the comics so you just go yeah we just base it on that and get some cool adventures anyway in the present Thor the god of thunder and entrusted, uh, and entrusted with the might. Can I, sorry, can I just? Is he ever called the God of Thunder in this movie? I don't know because he is the. I had to check sometimes. He's like he's the God of Thunder, isn't he? Not the God of Lightning because that's. Yeah, in general he is. General. Yeah, but I don't think it's ever because in the in the old comics it's all like oh this is Baldar the the the, the brave and Loki the God of Mischief and Thor the God of Thunder and they don't do any of that in this I don't think and they he doesn't he only summons lightning like twice it's not really a thing he does in this movie but i just thought well, it was i don't know yeah it doesn't really um because you don't sh- really use that in his branding which is which is weird yeah you think he'd uh, have some like water marked uh, stationery or something with god of thunder written at the top anyway no, you just you just think they would refer when yeah. they're referring to people in these grandiose ways grand- they would at least say my son thor the god of thunder the god of or, or that he would use lightning and thunder a bit more yeah he doesn't. it's that. peculiar yeah with his mighty hammer, Mjolnir prepares to ascend to the throne of Asgard. As his family and fellow warriors watch Thor kneel in front of his father, his brother Loki seems visibly jealous of his brother's success. As the ceremony continues, elsewhere in the palace, frost giants infiltrate the halls below, seeking the casket of ancient winters. Just as Odin is about to proclaim Thor as the rightful king of Asgard, Odin suddenly detects the frost giants within the palace. At Odin's command, the Destroyer, an automated robotic warrior, takes out the Frost Giants with an astonishing blast of energy before backing away into its holding cell. Also, I completely forgot Rene Russo was in this. Me too! Yeah, I was like, oh my god, it's Rene Russo! It's like, oh my god, I completely forgot about that. Survived three movies with Mel Gibson. What a truth. Marries him... So, Marries him in, in the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah, obviously. Does, like three and four with him. And then um, Ransom. She's the wife in Ransom as well. Survived. Oh, Ransom's goodness. a great movie. I, I remember that being one of those 90s ones. Like, you know, it, it was like pre-taken. You know, yeah, it's like a great movie. It's a good fun movie. Good like. fun movie. Yeah, it's like, ah, yeah. they got my Payback kid. as well. Payback's a good one. Yeah, I've heard of that one too. It's always the one name movies like that. It's like, oh yeah, that's going to have him in it. And it's going to be lots of, ah, give me back my daughter sort of thing. <laughs> I also, God, have, you, have, you, have you seen uh, Ransom? No, I haven't. Is it? Oh, do you know the conceit of it? What's the conceit? Oh, man, it was in all the trailers. That's why I generally was like, go to the movies to see this movie. Someone kidnaps his daughter or whatever, his son. Yeah. And it's like, 
we need the ransom. Give us the ransom. This is what you want to give us. And he, like, ignores the FBI and the police and everything. And he says to his wife, I'm going to do something crazy. And he goes on television with the ransom money. And he says, I will pay this to whoever murders and brings me my daughter. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just insane. It's so fun. That sounds yeah. like something Mel Gibson would do in real life. It's a, it's a good, and it's twisty turny as well. Nice. It's, it's, um, nice. Yeah. I like, I like the sound of that. Sounds pretty good. I forgot that we also saw the Destroyer that early in the film because I thought it wasn't revealed until the uh, fight. But no, it's there, right there. Good, gives a little taste of the power, sets it up. Yep, so when you know it, when you know it, when you see it, you know you should be. Oh, no. The bad Mamma Jamma. Nah, bad Mamma Jamma. Even though, to be fair, if you see a giant robot coming out of a storm cloud, uh, you, you're going to be frightened anyway. Chekhov's Destroyer, Chekhov's in many ways. <laughs> yeah. He's introduced here. He better be used by the end. And then he's like left on the mantelpiece. Anyway... Yeah, as as we said, wow, those eyebrows are so blonde. They are just so bleached. Between the between the eyebrows and the and the, and the ridiculous blue eyes, mm. it just looks very fake. It just looks weird. It makes his face look odd. Didn't Kenneth Branagh, Branagh uh, didn't he uh, direct uh, a film version of Hamlet where they all had the same blue uh, contact lenses, if I remember right? Because it's supposed to be Dane. Obviously, it's Danish. Oh, I don't remember that detail. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember seeing some of it and someone pointing out it's like everyone's got these piercing blue contacts. Hamlet was very I, good. I think that might have been uh, almost like a link to that maybe or something like an idea had like, ah, he's Scandinavian, let's give him really blue eyes. His Love's Labour's Lost is really good. Mm. Um, it's um, it's Love's Labour's Lost done as a 1950s musical. It's a <laughs> real treat to watch if you like. I don't know, Shakespeare and silliness. Shakespeare and musicals. One genre Shakespeare never did. Uh, so what can you tell us about Thor's family? Let's go back to that big cosmic cow. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, no, let's not. The cosmic, the cosmic cow that was nourished by the ice from Ymir gave birth to Buri. Um, Buri is a is not, not recognised as a guardian, marries a frost giantess... And they have many children. Right. And the first of these children is Bor, the first god. And mm. Bor is the father of all the Asgardians. Bor rings a bell. Have we counted him in? Bor yeah. then gives birth to Odin. Yeah. Odin gives birth, but marries, and, and one of his many children is Odin. Um, so whilst Thor is Thor Odin's son, Odin is Odin Borson. Mm. Um and then in nineteen and 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 we have um, uh, Odin marries um, Friga, and they have many children. But then in nineteen eighty, it is revealed that Friga, who we Rene Russo's character, mm. is not Thor's mother. Dun dun dun. Because <sighs> Odin's a cheeky boy. Yeah, he yeah. but he, he he but he's also a calculating mf'er. He. <laughs> Very specifically, whilst being married to Frigga, wanted a son that would... So, Odin saw Midgard Mm. as a world full of potential, swirling with great destiny. And he said, I want my heir to have a piece of that. So he wanted a son that had strong ties, not just to Asgard, but to Midgard. So he takes takes the goddess Jord, or Gaia, as his lover. Mm. Gaia as in uh, the Earth, the goddess. Mm. And in the Marvel stories, Gaia is one of the elder gods um, 
billions and billions and billions of years ago, one of the first beings to emerge on planet Earth. Um, she purged the Earth of all the demons and then merged with the world somehow. Ah. Um, and dedicated herself to guiding its evolution. It is basically said that she could have kept the dinosaurs alive, but decided, <laughs> I'm going to give these apes a go. Um, and so let them be wiped out. We'll return to the extinction of the dinosaurs later in the show, because someone is responsible. Can you guess who? Is it her again? No. Loki. Anyway, thousands mm. of years ago, when the like second generation of gods began to appear on Earth, um, Gaia basically shagged a lot of them. She got around. Um, uh, Gaia, the uh, the bicycle of the world, they called her. So under various uh, different identities, she, she became like the mother goddess. Yeah. So in several myths, they'll talk about a goddess or a mother, and it's always the same Gaia. Um, so she's known as Jord when she mated with Odin. Um, and after a little bit of uh, weaning, um, Odin takes the baby Thor to Asgard and gives it to his wife and says, ah, about another bastard. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's the most, like, Robert Baratheon thing I've heard of. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and there we go. So it, it, it's not long after Thor's kind of, like, first arrival in Asgard as a baby that... Mm. Um, uh, Bor, Odin's father, Bor dies, and Odin has a chance to save him, but decides not to because he wants the throne. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's those that's those messed up family. That's how they work. Inspecting the bodies of the frost giants, Odin says the destroyer did its work fine, seeing as the casket is safe. But Thor demands to know how the icy beings were able to infiltrate the palace. Responding to Thor's outrage, Odin reveals that he has a truce with Laufey, king of the Jotuns, otherwise known as the Frost Giants. But Thor says this attack shows that the Jotuns have broken their truce with Asgard and they need to retaliate. Thor argues further with his father, with Odin reminding his son that he is not yet king. Later, Loki finds his brother Thor in a fit of rage and says that Thor is right. They need to attack Jotunheim, home of the Jotuns. Thor's childhood friends, Sif and the Warriors 3. Is it J Jotunheim's home of the Jotuns? Is it? Oh, good. <laughs> I just in case someone goes, what's that? Uh, Thor's childhood friends, Sif and the Warriors 3, Volstag, Fandral and Hogan overhear this conversation and agree to follow him to Jotunheim on his deadly mission. So I like it, starting with some nice political arguing and dis disobeyment like a great Shakespeare tale. It's interesting how... Um, uh, the, the 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 manipulations of that Loki's doing are quite subtle. Mm. Oh no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean you should go and fight them. <laughs> this is quite quite nice. I was just nudging all of this along. Yeah, he's just basically going. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't wouldn't it be cool if we did it? But I'm not saying you should. Not that I would say you should. But if you were yeah. to say you should, maybe it'd be cool if you did. You know that whole thing. You know that way that people phrase things like that, <coughs> like lawyers yeah. do, like. If you were to so do that, which I'm not saying you should. Yeah. Travelling across the Bifrost Bridge, Thor and his comrades approach Heimdall, the sentry of the bridge. Though he swore to prevent anyone passing through who shouldn't pass through the bridge, Heimdall wants them to find who got past his watchful eye. Passing through the Bifrost, Thor, Loki, Sift, and the Warriors Three arrive in Jotunheim, a harsh, unwelcoming world of ice. 
arriving at the palace of Laufey, the Asgardians are greeted by the Jotun king, who reveals that a traitor allowed the Jotuns to access the Asgardian palace. I've got to say that I thought um, Laufrey looks fantastic. He, do, he does. He, fantastic. It's, it's almost like an elf, but it's just something so sinister in the detailed, the frost and the oh, skin. I didn't get elf from it, but I, I just I just thought it was I the 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 dark red eyes. Oh. The, the, it, it wasn't CGI. It was a real face, but there was creature makeup and effects it's, on it, and it looked it looked I, to me. I was when you think giants, yeah, you don't think of anything that can look sinister. You think of something that's hulking and big. And yeah, just all about this was, power. Ju- this they're, was they're, they're just big enough to be creepy, and yeah. the the sinister. I think it was a very, very strong. The look of it was fantastic, and the the actor portraying it was wonderful. Is it Col Col Colm? I, I I did look up his name, but the only thing I, I've seen him in that I really loved was uh, For All Mankind. He played uh, Doctor Werner von Braun. I don't know it. It's a good. It's one of the best TV shows ever made. Anyway, <laughs> uh, where, where did I get to? Whenever you you stop me, I, I always have to like go because I can't put my finger on the screen. It's because you do not format your text. It is maddening. There is no formatting to it whatsoever. It is the most difficult thing for anyone to ever read. And I have to, on a weekly basis, stop myself from inserting just little pauses. Just add a paragraph here, yeah. a little space. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll consider that in future. No, do what you want. It's, your, it's, your, it's up to you. I, I'm just being OCD about it. While Loki pleads with Thor not to start a battle and to accept Laufey's offer for them to retreat, a nearby frost giant mocks Thor for turning away from battle. With a smile in anticipation of a good fight, Thor slays the giant with a swing of his hammer and the Asgardians battle against a large group of Jotuns. Without much battle experience, Loki uses his deceptive powers of illusion to fool a giant to run off the side of a cliff. However, the next minute, a Jotun grabs Loki by the wrist, causing the Asgardian skin to slowly turn blue like that of a frost giant, revealing his hidden ancestry. Great fight. I, Great. I love this opening fight. It was really so good. good. Lots going on. Good, good set pieces. It looked good. It looked really good. I mean, because yeah. you, you know it is this time, it's like this time of like CGI when it's just getting good and it's like no this looks like it's been good for a while also Idris Alba playing a very small role here but still good it, we only have one black god <laughs> and and it's Heimdall and in the myths and poems the original myths hmm. and poems Heimdall is described as being the whitest of the gods so I don't know if that's a weird coincidence or if Ken Branagh was like we should definitely cast a really good black actor to play the whitest <laughs> of the gods. That would be fun. Oh, God. I, I, I get it. It's fine. It's like, I don't care. It's Idris Alba. He can do anything he wants. Also, you'd think Laufey would have slapped his own man for being the cause of the start of this fight, wouldn't you? Because, like, you've angered him. He's, you know how angry he gets. No, because he, want, he wants... He actively wants a reason to break the truce, and this gives him a reason that isn't him. Right. Okay. Well, no, Thor, yeah. Thor hit us. Right, I get that now. I get because yeah, there's a deceptive grin to him, so I kind of get that he would have yeah made that. So we've got Sif and the Warriors Free. What can you tell us about the Warriors Free? Fandral Hogan and Volstag. Volstag. They first appear as they're not called the Warriors Three. They just kind of first appear back in um, the mid '60s. Mm. Um, 
they're they're created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. They are largely background players. They are named. So some of the Asgardians don't get names. They're just like that dude and this person. <laughs> uh, but these are recurring, uh, along with like Baldar the Brave and yeah. and, and Sif and stuff. Um, they 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 the first called the Warriors Three. Kind of just like in passing by the I think Jack Kirby in the letters page of mm. of Thor, um, which is like a full decade after they first appeared, and like. Jack was always Jack and Sam were always teaming the three of them up together. Mm. There's some I've read some comments online that basically say um, they were designed to resemble the Three Musketeers. Um, yeah, okay. Pathos, Arathos, and whatever. M- maybe there's something in that, but Stanley does not say so. He has gone on record saying no. Uh, <laughs> Fandral is based on Errol Flynn. I get that right away. Hogan was based on Charles Bronson, no, <laughs> which might not play here because yeah. it's played by an Asian actor. Mm. Um, um, but in the original drawings, he was he was kind of he did look like an older white man. Mm. And Volstagg is modelled after Shakespeare's Falstaff, mm. um, who's the egregious, the egregious kind of like um, drunk and stuffer of uh, fine meats and cheese into his mouth um yeah they first meet thor or that it's not their first meeting because uh, the first story where they meet thor in like the first time it happens in a comic is when thor's on his expedition to um uh stop ragnarok the odin sword has become cracked and must be saved um <laughs> but they they it, then it, we repeatedly get stories that they've known each other from Childhood, at least um, Falstag um, and Thor have known each other since they were kids. Um, mm. And yeah, they, they, they are. Falstag is very much comic relief. Um, and we get a bit of that in this, in this story. Um, but they accompany him on a lot of his youthful adventures, and then in adulthood, they help him de- defend Asgard numerous times. As Thor valiantly fights the Jotuns, Fandral is injured and the rest of the Warriors 3 retreat with him. Thor insists on staying to fight, but Laufey releases a giant ice beast from its frozen captivity and sets it upon the retreating Asgardians. Summoning a bolt of lightning, Thor causes the owl ice ground, sorry, the ice ground the Warriors 3 are running across to crumble away, with the beast still pursuing under the ground below. As the Warriors reach the edge of the cliff, the Bifrost Bridge, the only means of escape, is nowhere to be seen. As the giant beast rears up and goes to pounce, Mjolnir flies through the air and kills the beast in a single blow. We hadn't had Superman, the modern Man of Steel movie by this point. Yes, that came in 2012. So this was like the first time seeing a Superman-type superhero figure fight. Yeah. And it was cool. Like, I, I... but I do remember when I saw this at the movies, it was exciting when he summoned the lightning for the first time. Mm. And when he flies through the monster's head like a bullet. <laughs> yes. It's like, that's badass. Yeah. You know, and obviously not something Superman would, well, he might well do in those movies, but like it was the first time we've seen this person, you know, a superhero figure fly around. Um, yeah, it was it was great because you didn't get that in the, the the Richard Donner, the you know the seventies Superman doesn't get a chance to do that. And... No, he's more wholesome. Yeah, well, it's just they can't have him. He just flies up a bit and flies down a bit. Exactly. As the <clears throat> sorry, 
As the giant beast rears up and goes to pounce, Mjolnir flies through the air and kills the beast in a single blow. Surrounded by Jotuns, all hope seems lost until a blinding light emerges from the sky. Odin has arrived. Odin speaks with Laufey, aiming to use diplomacy to correct his son's mistake. However, Laufey rejects this. But before he can stab Odin with an icy blade, the Asgardian summons the Bryfoss Bridge and escapes with Thor, Loki, Sif and the Warriors Three. The fragile truce between Asgard and Jotun has been destroyed. Reminds me, again, linking talking about the Fantastic Four film from 2015. It's it reminds me of that thing in there where it's like, ah, the adults won't let us do what we want, but let's do it anyway in secret. And, oh no, everything's gone wrong. Everything's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, this I, I saw an interview that, that that Branagh gave promoting the, the the release of the movie, and and he spoke about like as we said, needing to balance the huge over-the-top mythic scope mm. with simple storytelling that's relatable and he broke it down the story down to the young son wants to borrow the car to go to a party dad <laughs> says no they have a big argument he takes the car anyway it all goes horribly wrong dad yep. shouts at the son and grounds him in this case literally yeah <laughs> by grounding him to midgard i like that like, yeah, everyone can relate to being yelled at by their dad or arguing with their son or whatever. I like that because, like, putting all the grandiose, all the mythic stuff aside, he's grounded down to the most purest, understandable thing in a way that doesn't make him seem so pretentious. I love that. He's, very, yeah. he's really grounded, isn't he? For a lovey. For a lovey. Yeah, yeah. Arriving back at Asgard, Thor argues with Odin and declares his leadership. Sorry, and questions his leadership, calling his father an old man and a fool. In a fit of rage, Odin declares his arrogant son unworthy of his powers and his hammer before casting him out of Asgard. Before the portal closes, Odin enchants Mjolnir with the following phrase, Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor, before throwing it into the portal after his son. Suddenly arriving on Earth as a mortal man, Thor is knocked unconscious by Dr. Jane Foster's van. Awakening, a confused and angry Thor calls out for his father and his hammer, confusing Jane and her fellow scientists. As his rants become more and more intense and threatening, Darcy Lewis knocks Thor out cold with a taser. As Selvig loads Thor into the van to take Thor to hospital, Mjolnir falls from the sky and lands in the distance with a bang. Anthony Hopkins doing a fantastic performance here, I felt, even though the armour was clearly... (laughs) better <laughs> he was shouting loud you shout know. loud I know. But, but it, his voice you know the, the look of him it all works wonderfully exactly and again cat dennings great she's just great comic relief and just, just I, I, I couldn't was amazing i can't work out why she's not bigger in in, in terms of a bigger star or, or more used and because she's she's got that goofy adorability charm to her mm. she's you know a good, a really good-looking person. Yep. Um, she's got great comedy acting chops. Absolutely. And um, she's been in the game a long time. I wondered. I was messaging someone about this, and I said, "I wonder whether it's the death of the rom-com that, like, if uh, rom-coms were healthy, are they dead now? She, yeah. Oh. If she, if rom-coms were healthy, I wonder whether she would have had a bunch more offers and been able to yeah. star in a bunch more kind of um, roles that would suit her. I but, thought it was because she was identified too much as a TV actor. And it's like, because like David Tennant hasn't really been in films, and no. I think he could definitely do that, but he just hasn't. I just think like he's been too much associated with TV stuff that they think, yeah, there's not much call for it or something. I don't know. 
I don't know how they Yeah, think. I suppose in terms of the jobs you go for. Yeah. I mean, she certainly started in movies and then moved to television. Ah, okay, that makes sense. So Thor is transformed into a mere mortal man here. Uh, does that happen in the comics? As we talked about, like when the stories, the original stories begin, mm. it's a regular mortal man that finds a hammer and when he uses it, he gets the powers and appearance of Thor. Mm. And then it all gets quite confusing, William. <laughs> because he starts to talk like Thor and have Thor's memories. <laughs> and then he meets all these Asgardians who think he is Thor. Mm. And if he isn't Thor because he just gets the powers of Thor, where's the real Thor? Oh, So yeah. it starts to feel more like this mortal man swaps places with Thor but he has his own mind the whole time. It's not made very clear what's happening mm. because the writers don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they have not worked all this out. And then eventually, um, to explain this, Marvel do some pretty deft rep- retconning. Amazing. Here they, we go. They, they have a story where Odin eventually reveals to Dr. Donald Blake that he is and was Thor all along, <laughs> and Dr. Donald Blake isn't a real person. It's an illusion that Odin has created. So Thor's arrogance had gotten the better of him, like we've seen in this movie. Mm. Um, he did a campaign across across the nine realms, battling foes, like regardless of the peace treaties and all that. And um, Odin says, right, I'm going to teach you a lesson, Sonny Shem. So he banishes Thor to Earth, to teach him his lesson in humility. He creates the mortal guise of Dr. Donald Blake, wipes Thor's memories. Well, not wipe them. Submerges Thor's memories beneath these fabricated memories of Dr. Donald Blake. Mm. Um, Mjolnir gets the enchantment, is placed in a cave where uh, it's the same cave Thor was born, apparently. Mm. Um, And then... It's disguised as a simple walking stick. Um, so Dr. Noel Blake is this new form, and it has no superhuman powers. He's given a limp and a disability as part of a lesson in humility. Mm, mm. Um, you will not only have none of your godly immortal powers, you will be not only regular, you will have a disability. So you, you will have that to contend with. Um and apparently, uh, Donald Blake is also given memories of a father that held him in contempt due to his disability. Um, and uh, that was an important part of the lesson that Odin wanted to teach. And Thor then, sorry, Odin then teleports um, Dr. Donald Blake, or sorry, Donald Blake to Earth to the campus of State College, where he believes he is going to study medicine. Um, and he becomes a doctor and a surgeon, and he graduates from college, becomes successful. So he lives a life. He lives this life as Donald Blake for for many years, maybe a decade. Um, and after spending his adulthood living amongst mortals, caring for mortals, mm. healing them as a doctor, this is the lessons in humility that I wish there was somewhere present in this movie. <laughs> Donald Blake kind yeah. of. Basically, uh, that's what makes him worthy again. Um, And he then eventually is guided by Odin to this cave in Norway. 
he discovers Mjolnir and, and, and lifts it. Um, and there's a further retcon as well down the line that is revealed that Odin had a bit more incentive than just um, the lesson in humility. There's a prophet that reveals that um, if Thor remains amongst the gods, he would die. Ooh. And Thor's death triggers Ragnarok. Oh, now, the Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods, the end of Asgard, is something that Odin is always trying to um, avoid and delay. Yeah, I can so understand. that would help getting him to Midgard. Hmm. At a nearby hospital, Thor awakes and attacks the hospital staff, thinking he's been captured by the enemy. Before he can escape the room, one of the doctors sedates him. The next morning, at the crater where Mjolnir landed in the <coughs> desert, a curious New Mexico resident drives up to inspect the otherworldly object and tries, with no luck at all, to lift the hammer. At the lab, Jane and the team review the data they got from the storm, realising that Thor emerged from it. At the hospital, Thor wakes up and struggles to free himself from his restraints. Jane, Darcy and Eric rush into Thor's room, but he's managed to escape. However... On their way out, they accidentally run over Thor again. Back at the crater, a really bro- funny moment. That, that. was that I, I howled with laughter when that happened because it's just like you're just walking past just as they're about to do it, and it's just it the timing the, on it's perfect. Great the first character. taser moment was funny as well. Yeah, I loved that bit, but that was just really funny, like running him over with the truck again. So back at the crater, a growing crowd are taking turns to lift up Mjolnir, even trying to we- use a tow truck to drag it out. That's so we get no a, success. A, a- Good old-fashioned tailgate party. I know, they got the they barbecue got the and barbecue everything. barbecue going. Is that what it is? What's a tailgate party? Uh, in, in America, there'll be this thing of like when they drive, because they don't have public transport probably, yeah. they'll have to drive to their sporting events yes. and all park their cars. Yeah. And then while they're waiting, and some of them aren't even like going into the building. Oh, is this like it's always sunny in Philadelphia where they're just hanging out in the car park and doing yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's a tailgate party. Yeah. That's cool. That's and nice. you'll, you'll, you'll have that going before you get in or if you're not even getting in. They don't, they don't go to the, see in this country, we go on a public transport and we go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to the match. That's how it works. Um, and who do we see in this scene? Uh, Stan Lee as the as the as the driver. As the, yeah, and Brax's own car, American graffiti style. <laughs> <laughs> in the distance, a black car pulls up with Agent Coulson getting out and viewing the crater. Calling his superiors, he says, "Sir, we found it." So. Thor getting sedated also in the middle of You're no match for the mighty Thor. Well, you know, that made me howl as well. So perfect. funny. Yeah. It's just this whole fish out of water thing just works so well without demeaning the character because okay, yeah. obviously it's not uh it's not him like redeeming himself, but it is kind of like, ah, it's funny, he's kind of getting punished now. This is his punishment almost, his humiliation. And I pref- much prefer this tone to what we get later on in, in Ragnarok. Yeah, I I'll, I'll get onto that later. I'll get onto. I I wrote something about that. Uh, also, I love the fact that Shield entry is into the story so soon. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, hello. We, it's not the FBI who then get you know sidelined by Shield. It's no we, Shield are on it right now. We both forgot how much a role they play in um, Iron Man. Absolutely, I, I thought like, they oh, were really Coulson's there. right here. Loads. Yeah, he's always there. But I suppose that's his in a way. That's kind of his M.O. He's supposed to be there without you really noticing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the lab, Thor is given some mortal clothes and is confused about his surroundings. Jane and the team wonder what to do. They're wondering what to do with, the, with what is either a crazy homeless person or the actual Norse god Thor. Back on Asgard, 
Loki, Sif, and the Warriors 3 dwell on their ill-advised decision to invade Jotunheim. Loki reveals that it was him who was responsible for Odin coming to their rescue, but also banishing Thor in the process. However, Hogan remembering Lofi's claim of there being a traitor to Asgard among them treats Loki with suspicion. Later, Loki approaches the casket of Ancient Winters and picks it up, seeing his features transform into a blue Jotun. Odin approaches him, seeing his son covered in blue skin for a moment. Loki demands to know the truth about his ancestry, forcing Odin to reveal the, the truth. During the Battle of Jotunheim years ago, Odin discovered a Jotun baby and adopted him. That child <coughs> was Laufey's son, who grew up to be Loki. Odin hoped that adopting a Jotun child would help unite both kingdoms one day, but Yo Loki is distraught over the news and berates his father, claiming that Loki could never be his true son to succeed him as king. As Loki's rants grow heated, Odin wearily collapses into an Odin sleep, a self-induced coma to regain his strength. I like the uh, Donald Blake references with the X's name badge. That's, you know, just yeah. a nice, friendly <laughs> reference. There's um, a few scenes in this movie, and this mm. is one of them, uh, that are designed for the female gaze. Hello. They're, de they're designed to fully exploit the hunkiness of Chris Hemsworth. I'm thinking um, of this topless scene, yep, where he's absolutely. being ogled by Darcy and Jane. I'm also thinking later on of the him mud-wrestling in slow motion in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably very much designed for straight oh, women. God, um, yes. So I, I wanted to get a straight female perspective on... The presentation of Hemsworth here. Okay. So good. I uh, had a phone call with my best friend Eve Colclough, um, and <laughs> quizzed her. She fits the demographic and quizzed her about this movie. Um, because so because uh, I know Hem Hemsworth is now officially stamped mm. as a honk, but I wanted to know if it was if this was the movie that did it for the straight female audience, or if it's a thing that built over time, especially because. You tend to hear a lot more about straight women talking about how they prefer older men. Like and so I bod. wondered whether, is yeah. this something that came in post-Avengers or like Ragnarok when he was a bit older and stuff and the hair changed? Mm. Um, so <laughs> Eve Colcliffe compared Hemsworth in this movie to something like megan fox in transformers yes oh, that God. moment yes where yes suddenly everyone went this this actor this new, hot new actor comes out of nowhere yeah and the movie is designed to display how hot they are mm -hmm. in a few key scenes and then suddenly like they're every everyone's talking about yep, them absolutely There's articles and tweets and all that kind of stuff about them and they are the new hottie so she compared this movie and chris hemsworth and that to, to that kind of and i'm sure there are more classical moments in obviously like um. Oh. Uh. Uh. The the, the Doctor No where Ursula Andress emerging from the comes sea. out of the water yeah. and indeed maybe Daniel Craig Great. when he comes out Literally in just about Casino yeah. Royale as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. So that's and that's an important thing for us to consider about this movie. Mm. Hollywood is is built on putting gorgeous people on screen, displaying them in a right way and marketing them in a right way so that you sell tickets. Absolutely. And this is really probably the MCU's first bash at doing that. I don't think I'm not saying um, Downey Jr. isn't an attractive, good-looking person. I just don't think it was tailored in that way. Mm. Um, and yes, my friend Eve said that when she saw this movie, when Hemsworth in this scene walks around with his top off, there was an audible sigh in the audience. <laughs> 
she was in. <laughs> so there we go. Oh God! I the outside absolutely... female, straight female gaze perspective on Chris Hemsworth's hot honkiness. I love that. Also, uh, to be more serious and stop staring at his topless body, the moment with uh, Loki and Odin uh, is a nice piece of Shakespearean twist. It's like it's weird going back and seeing Loki as someone with this amount of pathos. You know, they, they, we, we we could side with him to a degree. Because he has been robbed of his right, he is. He, he he he's just discovering his life has been a lie. It's really interesting. There's some new ones here with him. Yeah, what's he been robbed of? Well, I don't know. It's I don't know. He, he thought he had a right to become king. I know yeah, that's, that's hard. That's entitlement. <laughs> it's, okay, I know it's entitlement, but it's like. It's, he's, this he's, is he's very been, relatable and understandable. He's a petulant child. He's a petulant child. It's but, very understandable. But he's and being been, lied to isn't nice and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it's he's, like this whole thing of my life is a lie. Also, yeah, like, he, was, he was just adopted. I mean, calm just, down, Loki. He was just adopted. <laughs> the alternative is they put a sword through your child baby's neck yeah. because that's what you do to your enemy. So what is it you want to do? Um, but it's it's relatable. It's understandable. And it, to, to your point, um, it's much richer than, ha, 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 I am evil. Yes. It's much richer than that. Absolutely. It gives it's, you... It's, because there's already a baseline there where he's a bit petulant and arrogant, but you now you have this whole like, oh wait a minute, there's another motivation pushing it through almost. It, it's a level of yeah. sin that's much more closer to us and understandable. Mm. Envy, jealousy, yes, um, coveting something that we think is meant to be ours, and that uh, feeling. Um, weaker and diminished and feeling always in someone's shadow those are much easier sins to understand and wrap our heads around than i want to conquer the world or take over the whatever or i want the throne of blah 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 these things are are, are easier for us to go yeah i get that i get that it's good so obviously it's an interesting twist uh, having loki be a child of laufey but is this something they added for the movie was this actually in the comic because i don't think we've delved too much into loki's ancestry it, it, it's partly Stanley and, and, and Jack Kirby, mm. but not... So in the original Norse myths, Loki is nothing to do with Odin or Thor, mm. other than he, he is they, they are enemies. Um, he is the son of one of the Jolton giants. Yeah. Um, but he is... Uh, it, it's in the Marvel comics that Stan and Jack introduced this idea that Loki is adopted by Odin. Mm. So that is their... That bit is their creation. In the in the original myths and poems, Loki is always a, a child of uh, Jotun. Um, but it's in the Marvel comics that they go, what if that medieval thing of, um, I take your uh, the enemy king's or nobleman's child to keep you a good and loyal yeah. follower of mine? Mm. Which we see a lot in Game of Thrones. We came out the same year. There's an awful lot of that in Game of Thrones. Yeah. You beat the other side down. You can't kill everybody. And you don't always want to cut the head off the, the lord or the king or whatever. You take their child. That child is now my um, prisoner slash <laughs> a, you know, adopted kid or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But, it, but, it, but it, Loki being adopted isn't some um, great secret that gets kind of a dramatic revelation like we have here. When the Thor comic starts in the 60s, it's public knowledge from Thor and Loki and everybody what's going on. Although, rather confusingly, Loki refers to Thor as his half-brother. Mm. 
it, it, there's no half in it at all. There's no blood connection. But, yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Maybe um, they forgot what half brother meant and went. Ah, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So there we go. Hmm. Back in New Mexico, Jane, Darcy, and Eric take Thor to a diner and quiz him about where he came from. The next minute, a couple of locals come in and start talking about a suspicious object that crashed in the desert with government agents now surrounding it. Realising that this must be Mjolnir, Thor gets out of his chair and sets out towards the crater, but is stopped by Jane. Eric, a Scandinavian, is suspicious of Thor's Asgardian claims, as these these are stories that he grew up with. Jane, listening to Eric's concern, agrees to part ways with Thor, who carries onward with his quest for Mjolnir. However, as Jane returns to the lab, she finds that Agent Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D. has confiscated all her equipment and data relating to the atmospheric phenomena that brought Thor and Mjolnir to Earth. Eric tells Jane that he might know someone who can help them out. This drink, I like it, another! It's my favourite line. It's my favourite little bit. It's just, it's in character, it's... It's it's silly because of the um, juxtaposition. The, yeah, the, yeah, and it's just it just works for me. <clears throat> also, <laughs> I'm not used to seeing Agent Coulson being an unlikable jobs worth like this because he really cut like to the un, not to the untrained eye, but to you know, certain perspective. Like it looks like he's the bad guy here. You know, I don't know. I I don't get that. I I, I think that he's taking um, her stuff. Clark Gegg's performance throughout all of this is so wonderful in that he's doing something but he to me he presents as being warm yes. the whole time yeah i know he gives her a big check and everything you know he'll pay you off and... yeah but it's just it's just very like oh, don't do that come on but it's the way he says we're the good guys it's like i like that little yeah touch. we're the good guys I like it. Uh, was it Doctor Selvig st- talking about things that happened with Shield? And he mentions a scientist studying gamma radiation was abducted by Shield. Yeah, like, I didn't. I don't remember that from the first time I watched it. Yeah, I didn't I, remember like, that either. I went, "Oh, no. hello!" They're talking about Doctor Banner. Amazing. It's like already there's the little little not yeah. seeds, but like the little hints of threads, of things. Yeah, little threads. I love it. I love it. Back at Asgard, Sith and the Warriors Three approach Odin's throne, wishing an immediate audience with their king but find Loki sitting in his place. Loki proclaims himself as their king, with the warriors kneeling before him and asking to end Thor's banishment. But Loki claims that he can't undo Odin's last commandment, with a war against Jotunheim being high priority. But the warriors aren't happy with this answer and angrily exit the throne room. In New Mexico, Thor has trouble finding suitable transport to take him to the crater, but Jane spots him and offers a lift in her van. During their van ride in the desert, Thor and Jane bond over their predicaments. Thor promises to show Jane who he really is when they reach the Lost Hammer. As Odin lies in his Odin sleep chamber in Asgard, Loki talks with his adopted mother, Frigga, about her telling Loki that he mustn't lose hope over his brother and father returning. Thor in a pet shop looking for an animal to ride. Another great little moment. Yeah. And this is the thing uh, we mentioned earlier, how it's different to the Chaikai Watiti films. It's like... He's obviously the silly person here, but it's nowhere <coughs> silly as that kind of Thor. It's this bright balance of silliness. He's, he's doing it in a straight way. He's saying, yeah. I need something. Okay, we, go, so we, we have like, uh, was it birds and dogs? Okay, do you have one large enough to ride? It's like, it's not meant as a silly thing. He's, he's saying it straight because he comes from a place where this would be a thing. Yeah. And I like this kind of level of silliness. It works. It's much funnier to play him straight. 
Oh, God, absolutely. Because the moment you get, like, him, him giggly, silly goose for, it's like, it's fine. It's fine for a bit. But it's like, yeah, we're, we're now just doing a comedy now. It's, it's And I think, I think what happens is that creates an instability in, like, yes. the believability of the movie. When it's so silly, and yeah. then you also have to go, oh, we're going to have a dramatic moment. Mm. It creates an instability in what you. It just feels like they're they're just saying to you, ah ah, it's not real. This is it. It's all just a yeah. silly story. It's the difference between James Gunn and um, Taika Waititi. Taika The difference in their approach to humor, yeah, is that James Gunn has their way of balancing absolute pathos with with real comedy. Yeah, and Taika doesn't. Taika did it better with uh, Jojo Rabbit, I found. I found. 100%. 100%. He's like, he can do it. He just didn't do it with the, with the last two Thor films. I still enjoyed them, but yeah, I noticed this right away with a moment like this. Like, I Before prefer- our movie started, Thor got a bump on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's very silly. There, he's a big silly goose. <laughs> also, the film. Thor bonding with Jane in this scene reminds me that Thor can seem strange in a silly way. Uh, around humans you know but still have that charm and confidence like uh, again like 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 compared to the YTD films he's being there's a more warmth to him as well in this he's got a, he's still got the charm and confidence yeah 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 and i think i think what we're doing is we're reacting to natalie portman's reaction to him yes she's like that's what i think that's the language that's telling us that this is warm and affectionate and is 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 Natalie Portman's acting, I think. Yeah. It's a shame, uh, to go back to the Sif and the Warriors 3, I mean, it's a shame you didn't get to see, see Sif as much. She's, she really stands out, but you don't get enough time with her. Like, But what can you tell us about this character? Um, in, in, in Norse mythology, she is the wife of Thor. Oh, nice. Um, a giantess, the goddess of grain and fertility. Nice. With um, blonde hair. That's what you so, want. A farmer in the streets, uh, something else the in the goddess sheets. of fertility in the sheets. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so the comic books adapt some of that and add lots more of their own their own stuff. Yeah, um, she possesses long golden hair as, and she's a, a child. She plays with with young Thor and young Loki, um, and Sif and Thor kind of fall into like childlike early love when they're young and. Um, she is kidnapped by storm giants, made a prisoner um, of the Hades, the underworld, by Hela, and Thor marches into let, let, marches into hell and offers his own life in exchange to save her. Ooh. And this impresses Hela, the goddess of death, and she releases both of them. Um, Loki also uh, fancies um, Sif and jealous of the obvious kind of flirtations between them he turns himself into a mist <laughs> sneaks into her bedroom <laughs> while she's asleep no and cuts all her hair off oh t- to say in his own words to make her as bald as a cabbage <laughs> <laughs> cabbages the most famously bald of all the vegetables Listen, if you can find hair on a cabbage then you're doing it wrong. They are very obviously without hair. Have you found it? So, oh, you'll have more luck finding hair in a cabbage. <laughs> That's my new saying. <laughs> so Loki, so Thor immediately knows Loki's behind all this. Sif is like bursting into tears at all this. Much 
different to how she's portrayed later as a strong warrior. She's mm. just like, oh, she's a princess kind of thing. And um, Thor um, dumps Loki in a in a like a wishing well and is like, go and get her some more hair. <laughs> <laughs> The hair merchant is in town. Well, this all sounds mad, but you have oh, to understand where Asgard, they... Yeah. Of course there's something that can happen. So, Loki goes to dwarfish craftsman Brock and Itri um, and asks them to create new hair for Sif. Clang, um, clang. All I imagine is them on the anvil creating hair with a hammer again. Clang, clang. First of all, they go, where is the gold to pay us to make this golden hair? Mm. And he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. I just came straight here because Thor threatened to beat me up. I haven't got anything. And the dwarves go, ah, for the price of naught, we shall make strands of naught. <laughs> and so basically what they're saying is we can't make gold, we can't make blonde hair. So they draw strands of blackness from the night sky and run it through their spindle and weave dark 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 black hair um and loki is like oh this suits me even better because i will like technically do what thor asked me to do but she'll never be blonde again and that will make him not fancy her anymore Um, (laughs) when you said that it's like you know in a doctor's you know the trope like you'll never be able to walk again I'm sorry, this operation was a success, but she'll never be blonde she'll again. She'll never be blonde again. <laughs> People burst into tears and run out the window. Um, but when Thor sees her with dark hair, mm. he goes, Oh, four, you're fitter than ever. And Loki's like, No, my plan backfired. My plan backfired. I didn't know she'd look good as a brunette. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not brunette when it's... it's the brunette's like brown, isn't it, I guess? I thought it was it's not black. Work. I thought brunette was, was, was black. Was no, like, I think brunette is brown. Look it up. The night sky well, I can talk. be brown if you have light pollution. Look, look, look at what brunette means. I have to look this um, up now, don't I? Yeah, because <laughs> I think you, you'll you'll have words like raven haired or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, I've used that word incorrectly. Now I look so like he's it's found even out more I'm right, and he's upset. So, it, brunette is brown, is it? Yeah. There you go. Uh. There we go. So, um. Yes, um, Thor, then, as as we get to kind of more modern stories, uh, well, the, the original stories, Sif isn't around when when, it, when he's first um, appearing in comics because he's got Jane Foster. Mm. Um, then when kind of she gets kicked to the curb, um, then Odin is like, Thor, do you remember Sif? <laughs> Odin never wanted Thor to marry a mortal. He hated yeah. Jane. So he's like, check out this hot non-brunette you know from your past. Um, and they, they they start up a little relationship together. Um, they they fight together. They battle together. and just th- th- That whole thing of her crying over losing her hair kind of is a, a strange story from, I think, mythological uh, purposes. In the comics... Sif is like a, a warrior alongside Thor. She mm. kicks ass. She she stabs people. She's a great sword fighter. Um, Thor, yeah. So they're like, we one day when we're ready, we shall marry. But then Thor's like, I can't leave Earth behind. I cannot live in Asgard. I, I must stay on Earth. Um, and Sif tries to adjust to living on Midgard. Wacky things in shoe and she goes i cannot do this it is horrible i live in literal heaven <laughs> i'm gonna go back there um 
over many battles and, and, and kind of acts of heroism, she's really established herself as one of the greatest champions in all of Asgard. Mm. Um, in the 90s, when the Odin sleep comes upon Odin once more, he names Sif as his replacement on the throne to rule Asgard until he's awake again, which is quite a high honour. Um, then, then, Loki becomes Sith. So that's oh uh, okay. This is going to get good. Ragnarok comes around, hmm. and it actually happens this time. And all the Asgardians die, but then they're all due to be reborn into new immortal bodies. And kind of they have to be awoke, reawoken one by one, mm-hmm. and go. Remember, you're a remember you're a Womble. Remember, you're an immortal <laughs> um, god type of deal. But Thor manages to awaken every Asgardian to reclaim their immortal powers and everything Mm. but Sif is missing furthermore when Loki returns from the beyond into the new body Loki is a smoking hot female goddess with luxurious black hair as black as the night (laughs) Loki has stolen Sif's body oh god pushed her immortal soul out and is like, oh, look at me, I'm hot and sexy woman now. And I can imagine Tom Hiddleston doing that. And um, <laughs> basically, it's his latest machinations against Thor. It's like, you can't possibly hurt me because this is the body of Sif. You need this to bring her back. Wow, I can do whatever I want. You can't stab me. Um, and Sif had been, Loki had pushed Sif's mind, his soul, her essence, into the body of an old woman called Mrs. Chambers, who's. Um, dying of terminal cancer and anyway it all gets kind of um, sorted out in the end she gets her own body back um, also she's Heimdall's sister oh interesting okay yeah and she briefly replaces him as guardian of the Bifrost when he's dead nice arriving at the uh, the Mjolnir site at night Jane and Thor watch from a distance examining the elaborate containment area that shield has constructed around the hammer Inside, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents use advanced computers to monitor the energy patterns coming from Mjolnir before detecting intruders at the perimeter. Thor has infiltrated the compound and silently knocked out guards. A guard's body is discovered and the sirens sound. As Thor gets closer and closer to his hammer, a thunderstorm begins. Inside the containment uh, structure, Thor fights his way past armed guards with Coulson sending in a specialist agent, Clint Barton, wielding a bow and arrow. Taking a vantage point high above, the agent known as Hawkeye waits for orders from Coulson to take Thor down, but Coulson wants to see what happens with Thor and the hammer first. Thor comes up against a particularly large guard and ends up fighting him outside in the mud with Hawkeye aiming at Thor. Hawkeye here making his uh, MCU debut. Jeremy Renner's scenes were all shot in reshoots after the movie was complete. Clark Craig said he was never on set with Renner when making this movie and that Renner hadn't even been cast when the scene was shot with most of the shots done with a stunt double. Wow. Makes sense when you actually kind of think about it because there's no, there's no, he doesn't really, he doesn't do anything. He just, he's just there. He's just, he's, he's, a, he's an Easter egg, if anything. Yeah, he gets a bow. A reference, yeah. Goes a up in a thing and that's it. That's it. The Thunder God wins the fight and heads back in. Standing triumphant before Molnir, a muddy and grinning Thor approaches his hammer. Gripping it, Thor is shocked to find that he can no longer lift it up, no matter how hard he tries. Defeated, Thor yells to the sky in anger before collapsing on his knees, with all hope lost. Coulson calls his men to move in, and they apprehend the Thunder God without a fight. Thor, 
is still not worthy. From the Bifrost Bridge, Heimdall views this tragic scene without emotion. So, loved Barton going, you better call it, Coulson, because I'm starting to root for this guy. <laughs> a great line. A great. brilliant line of dialogue that makes the character interesting. It makes it like, oh, he's, he, he, he likes the sport of it, or he's actually impressed with Thor. It's like, great, I like this. It's, it, it's... To me, I just watched the, the Big Sleep quite recently. Mm. It really felt like a Raymond Chandler, Humphrey Bogart line. Yeah. It's such but, a, you better call it, Coulson. I'm starting to root for this. Like, it just feels yeah. like a really smart, like sometimes in those old movies, they were able to express like intent and some exposition in the smartest, quick, snappiest, coolest way possible. Yes. Oh, God, absolutely. And it, ha- it's, it bleeds of that. Also, uh, Thor trying to lift Molnir was a surprisingly tender scene uh, watching it this time around. This was actually quite really sad to watch like the music worked so well it swells up the right moment you're there going oh god he's really he's he's destroyed he's he's defeated yeah i thought this was one of the one of the moments where the 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 music did work really well it came in so much right so we're at the big hammer what can you tell us about mjolnir it's really hard to say that the origins of mjolnir have kind of been developed and added to over time as more and more writers write the stories um the full history as it currently stands before more changes are made um true ages ago there was a moon made of a specific ore mm. called uru ah yes which shattered during a battle between two elder gods and one of the pieces of this uru ore crashed to uh, Nidalvile and claimed by the dwarves of Nidalvile um, and the dwarves bestow this chunk of Uru to Odin who had recently been crowned all father of the nine realms king of the Asgardians mm. it's, a, it's a gift after he saved them from trolls as mm. you do someone saves you from trolls you give them a big hunk of moon rock um, and sometime after that <clears throat> and a and an unimaginably powerful cosmic storm called the God Tempest mm. approached Asgard. It's almost a sentient living storm. Odin battled the storm for weeks to defend his kingdom. And eventually, when the storm was weakened enough, Odin defeated the God Tempest by trapping it inside this chunk of Uru, which is a very unique type of of uh, ore and metal. Mm. From this Uru, Odin ordered the dwarves um, to forge Mjolnir and some other things as well. Um, and it's the, the 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 blacksmiths that we've already met who made the hair. Yggdri, <laughs> um, <laughs> Brock, and their brother Buri. And they used the, the Godmaker Forge and to, to, to create the kind of heat needed um, to 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 power this Godmaker Forge, um, to make it hot enough, they have to use the heat of a star. The mm. hammer is completed after seventeen weeks, but in the process, the the star explodes <laughs> and almost takes Midgard with it. Damn! When the hammer is finished, it falls out of the sky, it hits the earth, and that event is the impact that wipes out the dinosaurs. <laughs> there it is. 
um, which Gaia allowed because she liked monkeys. Um, When Odin first tries to wield Mjolnir, he could not control its power due to the god Tempest raging in its centre. The hammer devastated Asgard as it flew out of control. So Odin casts an enchantment on the hammer to prevent anyone from wielding it except for him. So that would protect people. Mm. So the enchantment is there to protect people. Because if anybody else picks this hammer up, then it would be disastrous. Um, So Odin spends time struggling to control Mjolnir. Um, He joins a number of prehistoric heroes on Earth to protect Earth, Midgard, from various threats. Um, They are known as the prehistoric Avengers, weirdly enough. Um, But when he finally kind of assumes the throne of Asgard and kind of settles down to kingly duties rather than tarting around the Bronze Age, he he just puts the hammer away in the armory. No one else can touch it, lift it, use it because of the enchantment, and it sits there for untold ages. Um throughout thor's young life as a prince mjolnir is his focus like it's ah, one day i'm going to be as 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 strong and powerful as my dad and i'm going to be able to lift mjolnir the fabled hammer that no one can touch and he would throw himself into battles and adventures hoping that victories would eventually make him worthy um and then when the, the god tempest dies at some point i think it just dies of old age um so there isn't that um kind of almost malevolent spirit in the hammer but the mm. power of the god tempest the cosmic storm still rages in the hammer um and then um when he comes of age odin believes that thor has proven himself worthy um and so he he gives him he gives him the the hammer. The enchantment is altered so that Thor may lift the hammer. And then when Odin banishes Thor to Earth and transforms him into a mortal man, mm. the enchantment has to be changed again so that this time um, anyone worthy of lifting Mjolnir will get the power of Thor. Mm. Because without that alteration, then Donald Blake couldn't lift the hammer. And even if he did, he wouldn't get the powers of Thor. So the enchantment is changed time after time. In this episode, Will, (laughs) it's all about proving yourself to be worthy. It's only appropriate that we talk about how all you listeners out there can prove yourselves worthy. Right now, you're just like a young Thor. Yes, you're devastatingly hot and have blonde eyebrows, <laughs> but you're selfish. You're reckless. You're not thinking of those around you. And when I say those around you, I mean this podcast. You listen to this podcast each and every week without giving back, without doing the right thing. Odin is just not happy with you and when i say odin i mean me and will together imagine us sat on a throne both of us at the same time with beards looking down on you we've only got one eye between us it's time to prove yourself it's time to put others first and when i say others i mean this podcast it's time for you to lift mjolnir and subscribe to marvel versus marvel on patreon (laughs) 
because everyone that subscribes on Patreon is part of our community. They help build this podcast. They help keep us on the air. And we reserve our very best shows just for them. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. What we do on Patreon is, yes, we need pledges to keep us going. And in exchange, you get really cool bonus episodes. But think of it more like, think, like, how, what do you get from this podcast? You're here every week. It's hours and hours and hours of entertainment you get. Currently for nothing. You want us to stick around. You want us to keep going. You don't want us to go dark. It's becoming a struggle. We need your support. And in exchange, you're just going to get the coolest, coolest bonus content. Um, Full-length deep dive bonus episodes every month, including things like Infinity Gauntlet, including the Spider-Geddon and the Spider-Verse sagas, um, including... um, our trip to the oh well the Malcolm we release the Malcolm one um, mm. every now and then we we put one out there so you get a little taste of it and you go oh that's so good um, I need some more Kang Dynasty all of those cool bonus episodes on Patreon um, this month it is a deep dive into one of the greatest Fantastic Four stories of all time maybe the best Doctor Doom story ever written Fantastic Four unthinkable Doctor Doom renounces science and embraces dark magic, making him more powerful than he's ever been. He strikes a deal with not just one devil, but multiple devils. (laughs) And he begins to torture the Fantastic Four in truly unthinkable ways. Will, we had a great time with that episode. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was fan... fan Was it? fan stick. Yeah, no, it, it was it was good. It started off dark. It was loads of twists, uh, some really clever stuff, and the ending was just like, oh my! This is your first time really dealing with Doctor Doom. Yeah, we never story. Really delved too much into him with a proper story arc. What, what was your what was your kind of takeaway for, for for this kind of like this very interesting Doom changed a lot? But but how did you feel in your first Doctor Doom story? I, I really want him in the MCU ASAP. Yeah, I want really. To, I want to see. I, I know it's going to be a, a bit of a weird one to introduce because his appearance. I know we talk about the costumes being comical because it really is just a green tunic and a metal mask. But yeah. I really want to see what they do with him in the MCU. I mean, they could do so much because he is. I've got unlimited arrogance. He's just so. That's what you got from the story. Driven. Yeah. He's just so driven. There's nothing that stands in his way. Yeah, yeah. His arrogance really is the best way of summing this name up. Absolutely. He's just. I, I, there, there's one moment where the Fantastic Four refused to surrender to him in Unthinkable. Mm. And he says, I should have known you'd be so arrogant you'd refuse to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wonderful. Like, he just thinks everything is down to that. Yeah. Um, it's a great story. Um, it's it's a big change. It's got some very dark moments in it. Mm. Um, that's wonderful. Um, and that's available as our full length deep dives um, to people who uh, pledge with us for ten pounds a month. Um, we know times are tough. Um, you can support us for as little as three pounds a month. That is not even the cost of a Starbucks or a pint. One payment once a month, and it can help keep us going. Three Brexit pounds. Um, and in exchange for that, you're going to get access to Obscure Marvel each and every month. We, I think it's Will's favourite show. Slash his least favourite. <laughs> it, it, it depends on who we talk about. I mean, depending on my mood as well. I mean, it could be it could be heaven, or it could be 
Yeah. Hell. Yeah. We dive into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to bring you stories of the most ridiculous and obscure characters in the history of Marvel. Do you remember our, fan- our oh, the Fantastic Four one where Doom and Reed swap bodies and minds? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's coming and he back. And shrinks a zoo for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, shrinks the zoo. And it's just like, why would you do this? Why? This makes no sense. And there's some convoluted way around it. This month we had uh, Zarko the Tomorrow Man who used the advanced technology of the future to teleport himself into the past and then yank a nuclear bomb out of Thor's hands and run away. <laughs> I love that. He just runs up and does it. Runs yoink! Up. Yoink! Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, we do that every single month, and that's just our way of giving back to everyone that supports us. Um, the £3 used to be like, hey, you get nothing but uh, us saying thank you. Because mm. like, at the basic level of most Patreons is... The first thing you subscribe at, it's you get nothing, but thanks for helping us. And we were like, eh, we should give them something. Yeah. So we, we found this this wonderful format and had all this fun doing that. The £10 tier, you get access to um, the full-length bonus episodes. And and hey, look, maybe you go, I want to treat myself. I, I, I don't know if I can pledge every month, but I'm going to spend £10 with these boys and treat myself to binge hours and hours and hours of bonus episodes in this month. Um, and just see how much fun I have. You can do that. And as adverts come to Marvel vs. Marvel, the one place that is free of adverts is, is patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Because the £5 tier, you get early access and you get ad-free show main shows. So the main shows arrive on a Friday, three days early, and they're all ad-free on Patreon. So head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. We do need your support to keep going. The only way we can stay on the air is when people are um, feel a part of our community, join us and are generous. Um, particularly someone like Adam Joyce, who was at that £3 tier and realised he could give more and he could do more to support us, jumped himself up to that top £20 tier. Shout out to Adam Joyce. Be like him. Be part of this community and head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Back to the show. That night at the lab, Darcy finds Mjolnir in a book on Norse mythology that Eric Selvig got from a library. Jane argues with Eric that maybe what was thought to be mythology in his culture could actually be real. Meanwhile, at the shield containment structure, Agent Coulson interrogates Thor, assuming the Thunder God to be a well-trained mercenary. Thor stonewalls the shield agent, though. After receiving a call, Coulson exits the room, with Loki suddenly appearing before Thor. Loki lies to his brother that Odin is dead. The banishment of his son and the threat of a new war was apparently too much for Odin to bear. With Thor outcast, the burden of the throne is upon Loki, and the god of mischief further lies to Thor, saying that his mother has forbidden his return. A distraught Thor apologises to his lying brother for what he's done before Loki vanishes, just as Coulson comes back. So this is the first sign here of Loki just being horribly vindictive to, you know, lying in such a way to his brother in this mm. situation, really starting to see the seeds of that grow. Yeah. Yeah. So this is pretty cruel, but Rob, what is the cruelest thing Loki has ever done? Oh, we um, covered the ultimates. Mm. You um, shall never be blonde again. That's the cruelest thing he's ever done. <laughs> well, yeah. Making a woman as bald as a cabbage uh, is pretty high up the list. <laughs> bald as a cabbage and never blonde again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We covered the, the Ultimates from the, the, the Ultimate Marvel Universe. 
and we found in our our bonus episode with Ultimate Thor, um, the whole world suddenly starts to realise that Thor um, isn't real. He's not what he said he is. He's mm. actually a um, a mentally disturbed um, nurse from Scandinavia <laughs> who um, whose brother was running the Super Soldier Project, and this this guy who claimed to be Thor stole the tech weapons that would turn someone into the powers of Thor Mm. the hammer and the belt of strength and stuff and all these kind of crimes and things were revealed to the ultimates Nick Fury and Captain America and then they all teamed up together and beat the crap out of him and put him in a you know a padded cell and Mm. um, no one believed him and that turned out to all be lies from ultimate Loki (laughs) whose lies could actually alter reality he could shift around. His illusions would actually shift reality around and create things that were never there and change history. Um, that was pretty pretty cruel, right? I know you you loved that story and thought yeah. that was pretty interesting the way he great. he did that. Um, so he once summoned the deceased spirit of Odin's father, Bor, from the end of time. Ah, that's where I recognise the name from. Yes. One of the most powerful gods. What do you mean? Because we, it just like from a Marvel perspective, the name uh, Bor rung a bell. I went, why have I heard that from? Yeah, one of the most powerful gods that ever lived. Mm. Um, and Loki drove Bor wild and mad and unleashed him upon modern day Manhattan. <laughs> and then he made sure Thor was called to action to save the day, knowing that the only way to stop a crazed Bor, one of the most powerful gods ever, was to kill him. So Thor kills this mad caveman as guardian and then, saving the day, and then Loki appears and goes, oh dear, it appears you have killed your own grandfather oh. and killing your own kin is the highest crime in Asgard. You know, oh, oh gosh, oh, Thor, it looks like you're going to have to be banished from Asgard forever. <laughs> oh, how did that happen? That's so yeah, so I think tricking Thor into murdering his own grandfather is pretty high up there. And then there's the Siege of Asgard, where um, he manipulates Norman Osborn, who has replaced Nick Fury as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., into launching an attack on Asgard, his own people, that ends with the death of gods and mortals alike and cracks Asgard in two. Asgard, it, it, it never really returns the same way. Um, it's a, a, a brutal and very cruel thing. And it's not entirely clear why Loki did it, other than kicks and giggles. <laughs> yes, um, I say the lols. Yeah. Mm. As scientists scan Mjolnir, Loki, invisible to them, attempts to lift the hammer, but it's clear that he is not worthy before he disappears. Coulson is then visited by Eric Selvig, <coughs> who claims that Thor is actually a research scientist working for him called Donald Blake. Despite some holes in his story, Coulson lets Dr. Selvig escort Thor out of the base with no trouble, so S.H.I.E.L.D. agents can follow and spy on them. Taking Thor to a bar to drink, Eric talks to Thor about his life. Thor, believing his father dead and no way of lifting Mjolnir again, resigns himself to living as a mortal on Earth. Eric buys Thor another round on the condition that he leaves town tonight. Just try to imagine what would happen if Thor was trapped as a mortal on Earth for good. Like, maybe get uh, discovered by a modelling agency or something. 
I, may, maybe I think, he I, would. I think he could make his way. He just needs to, you know, have an agent to go, oh, no, this is how we do things on Earth. You're going to have to get used, used to this. and going to have to give hand jobs. That's how you make it in the modern age. <laughs> Come on, Thor. This is how you make it. This quickly turned into less than zero very, very fast. Uh, so has Loki ever been able to lift Mjolnir in the comics? Because I can't imagine him ever being worthy. And yet he was. Damn it! How did he do that? There's an event called Axis where the Red Skull gains the possession. He gets the dead brain of Professor X. (laughs) Okay. And then he gains the ability... He gains Professor X's abilities. Hmm. Do you remember Onslaught? Yes, I remember. Red Skull becomes the new Onslaught. Like hell. psychic abilities that can just destroy anything. He calls himself Red Onslaught. Um, he also gains control of a fleet of um, Sentinels and is on the brink of launching a new genocide on people he doesn't like, which, you know, <laughs> means Jewish people and black people and gay oh, people. Oh, dear. Um, Doctor Doom, who despises Nazis... Um, and the Scarlet Witch, um, they decide to work together. Uh, they, they've gathered, so a, a, a number of heroes have arrived um, to stop Red Onslaught, and Red Onslaught gathers a number of supervillains to fight for him. Mm. And then Doctor Doom and Scarlet Witch go, right, we can invert, we can turn his, we can switch this all around, and we can invert this power thing that, that Red School's got going on here. So they, they cast this inversion spell, which goes horribly wrong. And it ends up reversing the personalities of the groups of heroes and villains that are there. Ah, uh, okay. So it's basically so spinning out of, So spinning out of this mm. series, we get Captain America trying to be a, become a dictator, <laughs> the X-Men teaming up with Apocalypse to try and kill all humans, Tony Stark starts drinking... And selling his nanotech armor to anyone with money. <laughs> yeah, why don't you have a death machine <laughs> hacked into your spine? Um, we also get like Carnage being a superhero and things like that. Oh, um, wow. And on the other side of things, Loki's personality is also reversed. So he becomes the god of heroics and he wields Mjolnir in battle against a Thor who is no longer worthy. Amazing. It's a fun series, Axis. It's a fun series, but the the way the way I was like going, oh, how do you become worthy? Oh, they just they just they just turn things upside down. Oh, okay, fair enough. I was hoping for something more convoluted. And uh... um, there's one time when what, what you want Loki to become worthy. Hmm. He never become worthy. I he don't think worthy. It only happens. He's wielded it another time, but um, yeah, that was because all of Odin's enchantments. Were broken when he died. His magic broke, so Mm. all his enchantments ended, and so Loki was able to pick pick Mjolnir up. But so, but no, no actual real way of doing it. Okay. On Jotunheim, Loki approaches Laufey and reveals himself as the Asgardian traitor. Loki did it to ruin his big day and protect the realm from his rule. Speaking to a stony-faced Laufey, Loki offers Laufey to help a group of Jotuns into Asgard and murder Odin in his sleep with Loki taking the crown and Laufey taking back the casket of ancient winters. On his way back to Asgard, Loki is approached by Heimdall, who questions why Loki hid himself from Heimdall's all-watching vision. 
but Loki pulls rank on Heimdall, reminding him that he's his king, coercing Heimdall to follow Loki's wishes. Very Shakespearean <laughs> scheming here. Mm. It's, 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 it's that kind of Ma- Machiavellian plotting and meetings with kings and things. You know, like the one-on-one conversations as you're doing things and like going, oh, by the way, remember who I am. It's like traitors, but in space. I knew you'd work that in at some point. <laughs> traitors in space. So, Heimdall. What can you tell us about Heimdall and the Bifrost? In the in the in the in the ancient Norn myths, um, the Bifrost is the the bridge that literal a physical bridge that mm. connects Midgard to Asgard, and Bifrost means um, shimmering road. Yeah, um, and it was basically it was believed. So the the the, the old the older people of the, of the Norse realms believed the Norse areas believed rainbows, actual rainbows that they'd see. That was the Bifrost. I can see the logic there because it was this swaying road to heaven mm. that could sometimes be glimpsed in the distance. But because you're just a mortal, the closer you get to it, it keeps moving further away. How is that not magic? How is that not magic to people? Um, so yes, the, the, it is in many in many books and in the comics. It's depicted as a literal rainbow bridge, mm. um, much like the track in Mario Kart that you have in space. <laughs> Very, I mean, it's exactly the same. It's, it's no know. different. I know, but it's like, what, what, what other pop culture reference can you do? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, yes, literally Rainbow Road from Magic Mario Kart, and it goes right to the to the gates of Asgard. In the in the old myths and poems, it's described as being on fire, a burning Rainbow Road. They don't do that in the comics. No. Um, Heimdall is is a, is a great and powerful warrior beyond other Asgardians, on a par with Thor and Odin, as perhaps only his equals or betters. Hmm. Um, he possesses extraordinary senses. Um, his vision and hearing, in particular, he is so acute he can hear sap running through trees. Oof. He can the tiniest plant growing in the heart of the hidden hills. And, you know, so he one time was able to see the coming of a of an incoming army days away. <laughs> so great was his vision warn Odin um, early enough that Asgard could marshal its forces and crush them before they got close. And from this, he was uh, appointed the guardian of Asgard and indeed the guardian of the Bifrost. And and from this appointment, Heimdall's grew more and more powerful, to, almost to fit the role, which I don't know whether anyone cast any magics on him or if sometimes with Asgardian stuff, it's like you're now the guardian of the Bifrost, mm. that makes... And suddenly he becomes powerful enough to make that a reality. Anyway, he um, he can see and hear anything occurring in Asgard or on Earth, across the Nine Realms, really. He can look across space and mm. time as well. He's occasionally been prescient and been aware of things that were going to happen in the future. Um, and there's some indication that might just be his senses are so good. <laughs> so good that he's sensing things that haven't happened yet um, which I always think was a nice little mm. touch he can you know the fluttering of a butterfly a thousand worlds away is another thing ad- attached to him um, he um, is armed with an enchanted sword made from Uru metal the same the same very same as Mjolnir 
although without those enchantments and the mm. god tempest and it, it it can it is said by heimdall to contain all the cosmic force of the universe you can project blue flame from countless cosmic suns and he has defeated thor with this sword in combat oh, nice. um yeah uh, he was, however, recently murdered by a supervillain, one we've covered. <laughs> oh, dear. Give me three guesses. Uh, Doctor Doom. No. Onslaught. No, go smaller. Go smaller? Yeah, less powerful. Less powerful. Oh, God, that we've covered. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's Red Skull. No, it was Bullseye, the no! guy with no powers. <laughs> Sorry, did you say supervillain or just villain? <laughs> villain. Oh, he, I, um, I heard you as supervillain. Sorry. Uh, he is a supervillain. He wears a costume. Batman's a, super- <laughs> Batman's a superhero. Is Batman a superhero? Yes. You don't yes. have powers to be super. Hmm. So, Bullseye gains Dragon Fang, which is a Asgardian sword. Uh, it was something to do with Jane Foster. Anyway, he basically gleefully realises he can now kill gods, and so he stabs Heimdall to death. What a shame. Back at Jane's van, Thor brings her a, bla- a blackout drunk Eric Selvig, who Thor out drunk at the bar. Thor and Jane have a heart-to-heart outside, with Thor telling Jane how much he appreciates her. Reaching into his jacket... Thor hands Jane her research book he stole from S.H.I.E.L.D., delighting her. Thor tells Jane that she needs to continue her research into the phenomena that brought him here, telling her that where he's from, magic and science are one and the same thing. Drawing in Jane's book, Thor explains to her that his world and hers are part of the Nine Realms, branched together by Idrisil, the world tree. Thor... Yidrisil. Yidrisil, sorry. Yidrisil. Thor showing Jane the Nine Realms with little doodles was a genuinely sweet moment, I thought. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. It's lovely. Um, mm. I-, I like the idea that Idrisil is Idris Elba's world tree. <laughs> 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 so, All the branches have his face on them. Oh, there's Luther. Well, there's I- the guy from Pacific Rim. There's <laughs> yeah. the guy who played in Suicide Squad. <laughs> Here we go. In Asgard, Sif and the Warriors 3 realise that, despite the risk of treason, they need to go and find Thor. Suddenly, they are taken to Heimdall, who, while speaking in a way that relieves him of responsibility, lets him pass to the Earth, lets him pass the Earth realm without him informing his new king. From the palace, Loki watches as the Asgardian warriors use the Bifrost Bridge. At the Shield Camp, the Bifrost Bridge energy alerts the agents, leading Coulson to investigate with his men immediately. At the lab, Thor and Jane prepare breakfast for the hungover Eric Selvig, unaware that they are being watched by Shield agents. Without wasting any time, Loki summons the Destroyer and orders it <coughs> to ensure Thor does not return. Eric Selvig, we haven't really talked about him much before, and I'm wondering, is he actually a, a character from the comics or was he created for the movie? He was invented for the movie, um, yeah, but then in uh, 2016, Marvel Comics introduced an Eric Selvig character to the Marvel Universe. There we go. And uh, modelled him um, kind of yeah, a little bit after this character. Hmm. So... In, in in the comics, Selvig has no connection to Thor or, or Jane Foster, mm. um, but he, he, based on his role in the Avengers movie in the very end of this film, Selvig is an expert on the cosmic cube, ah. which in, in the MCU is called the Tesseract. Mm. Um, the cosmic cube in the Marvel Universe, the comic books, is um, a reality-warping artifact, as powerful probably as the Infinity Gauntlets. It kind of grants wishes, or basically, that can change reality and history. Um, 
and so in, in the in the comics he's an expert in that and he's experimenting with various fragments of the cosmic cube um, right, right, fortunately right. because some of these the cosmic cube was possessed by the red skull for many years one of these fragments is infected as it Ooh. is kind of basically bonded by the the only mind it's ever had a long connection to is the red skull's mind hmm. so it's kind of like a magic lamp that's a Nazi. <laughs> wow. And it rewrites Selvig's personality because it doesn't understand why hmm. he's not a Nazi too. Wow. It detects Selvig's mind and goes, oh, this is all wrong. No, 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 no. This is fast. This, is, this isn't this right is, wing enough. Here's what I know about the human mind. It's meant to be like this. Yeah. And it rewrites his history so he is now a Hydra loyalist and <laughs> right wing awful... And he then becomes the chief architect of um, of a shield project called Pleasant Hill, which mm. gathers all the world's worst supervillains together into a mind wipes them and puts them in a suburban area. <laughs> but the suburban area is only populated by shield agents and support staff. It sounds and, like some kind of like a Cold War training project or something. Uh, it, it, yeah, the the idea was to mind wipe supervillains to turn them into mild mannered, regular people. Amazing. Um, and yeah, I kind of thought One Division was going to be something to do with that at one point. Of course, but it, but it wasn't. Oh, that would have been interesting if they did that. But I think that would have been a bit too much on their plate. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, they had a, they had a story they really wanted to tell. Yeah, it's true. Meanwhile, in town, the locals are surprised to see Sif and the Warriors Three walking down the street in full Asgardian regalia. The two S.H.I.E.L.D. agents scoping out Jane's lab report the strange individuals onto base, just as Eric is explaining to Jane how hard it would be to prove the information on the Nine Realms to the scientific community. Sif and the Warriors Three walk through the front door, shocking Jane, Eric and Darcy, and embracing Thor. Thor excitedly introduces the mortals to his friends, but tells the Asgardians that they should not have come because of his father's death and exile. But Sif reveals that Odin still lives. Loki has betrayed him. <laughs> Base, we've got Xena, Jackie Chan, and Robin Hood. Hilarious. Yeah, that's that's almost Josh Whedon-esque. Yeah, right really there. is, yeah. yeah. The little reunion was nice. Uh, Eric realising that Thor might actually be a god is just great. He's like, oh. He might this good. might be real. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, yeah, he might be a mad loner, but it's like, yeah, but then you have four others dressed to you yeah. know, really prove backing it up. It's like, yeah, we can't really doubt this now, even though we need probably need a bit more effort. This is too much. Marching over to the Bifrost Bridge, an angry Loki approaches Heimdall and reveals that he knows other ways in and out of Asgard and says he needs Heimdall no more before freezing the, se- the sentry using the cask of ancient winters. From beneath the ice surrounding his body, Heimdall stares at Loki. In the New Mexico desert, Coulson is investigating the site where the Asgardians entered the Earth realm when a storm forms a scar in the sky above him. This phenomena can be seen all the way back in town, alarming Thor and his friends. From the storm cloud, a bang is heard, with the destroyer emerging. Approaching the shield agents, the destroyer ignores all requests to identify itself and lets loose with an energy blast at them. Back in town, Thor tells everybody to get everyone in town to safety before the destroyer arrives. Loki is so overconfident here. He could have used trickery to manipulate Heimdall instead of just using force and power. I just 
<clears throat> um, based on this movie, maybe you're, you're, you're right. My gut reaction to that is Heimdall sees everything. I yeah, think he's true. the one person you can't trick. But but that might not be might not be true of the movie. Okay, that that does make sense actually. But there's, also, no, like, there's no line of dialogue to to kind of say that either. So I don't know. I don't know. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Shield reaction. Uh, Shield's reaction to the destroyer is that one of Starks? I don't know. That guy never tells me anything. Really good. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, Clark. Clark. Sorry. Clark. 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 What's his name? No, carry on. I was, uh, also, Coulson seeing the destroyer's energy beam charging up and just going, "Here we go." <laughs> Clark Gregg is fantastic. He's fantastic in all these movies. Yeah. And I think he kind of gets to do more of that. The more um, exasperated, like imagine the exasperated barista, but your job is working with super villains and gods and monsters. <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of what Clark Gregg really brought to the role. And it really starts in this movie because he doesn't yeah. quite have it in the others. Yeah. And it's this that really will carry on into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., tv series where that's such it's such a charming and it works well and it works so well in such a lead role oh absolutely um, yeah it's a great it's a great kind of character that he's he's crafted along with the the, the different writers oh absolutely also the cast of and winters when i first was watching this because uh, you know i'm trying to remember i thought oh is that the tesseract but oh no it's not the tesseract uh, no i see blowing glue thing and i went oh it's the tesseract but it's not it's a key plot device, uh, not exactly a MacGuffin because it's not what they're after. It's just a thing they have. Does it feature in the Thor comics at all? It does. Um, although, to your point, if it were me making this movie, I would have had a different color. Ooh, I wouldn't have had two glowing blue devices that are separate in this movie. <laughs> I would have, if you want the Tesseract to be blue, make this purple. It's pretty simple. Um Yes, it is. It, it, the, the Casket of Ancient Winters triggers Fimble Winter, mm. a three-year-long, intense super winter that is prophesized to sweep across the Nine Realms and heralds the coming of Ragnarok, the, the end of all the gods. Mm. So the Casket of Ancient Winters is what contains the Fimble Winter. Um, it was used in the comics by Surtur, the... Um, the great fire demon and his attempt to destroy Midgard and kill Thor. He unleashed it. The devastating power mm. froze the, the earth, crippled everything, and a, a storm of a thousand winters sweeping across the world. It's a it's a real world ending threat that came dangerously close to wiping out all life on 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 the planet. Mm. Thor had to team up with the Avengers to kind of um, defeat Surtur and. And safeguard the casket, and it wouldn't. It would, you wouldn't see it again for decades and decades, and then it would um, appear in this movie. Um, so we hadn't seen it since that one storyline it had until this movie, and mm. then 2019, the the casket appears in the possession of the dark elf Malekith the Accursed, and he uses it to wage his war on all the realms. I love it. That's the second time, or at least I can remember it during this during this. Uh episode where it's just like oh yeah this thing happened in the film that barely happened in the comic and then the comics are like yeah let's bring that back <laughs> yeah they, 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 they do seem to do quite a bit of it to go mm. well people are gonna it's, it's if it's zeitgeist if, if it's in the public consciousness we should use it absolutely as the towering metallic automaton starts to wreak havoc one in more the time town, <laughs> the, the towering metallic automaton very well done thank you starts to wreak havoc in the small town sif and the warriors three face up against it seemingly disabling it 
However, the destroyer recovers and continues its mission unabated. The Asgardians fall back but are caught in the destroyer's blast, forcing them to find cover. Thor runs in and helps his friends to their feet, telling them to head back to Asgard and stop Loki, as Thor will wind up against the destroyer alone. Everyone stops to watch as, as uh, Thor, a mere mortal, strides confidently down the rude street towards his foe. Addressing Loki through the destroyer, he pleads with his brother to stop this needless destruction and to just take his life instead. Watching this, Loki orders the destroyer to shut down his energy beam and chooses to simply send Thor flying with a mighty swing. Fatally wounded, Thor smiles, knowing that his sacrifice has saved the town while Jane cradles him. So we... Have we talked about the destroyer before? Because it seems that seems like something from the comic. That does seem that seems like something uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee would create. Yeah, I, we, we probably would have talked about it when we first did the, the movie um, mm. four years ago. Um, it 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 it's a big. Yeah. I remember it being a very scary read when I first read mm. this um, about the, the destroyer in the in the nineteen sixties. Uh, not that I was alive in the 1960s. I grew up reading my dad's old comics from the 1960s. Um, specifically, Thor was was a big one. And, um, yeah, the Destroyer was like Terminator before Terminator. Ah, there it is. Yeah, it, it was yeah. like Westworld before Westworld, man. It, mm. was, it was a robotic thing that could not be stopped, could not be reasoned with. All the beats from Westworld and, and thus then the Terminator. Cannot are, be bothered what, with cannot be reasoned with, will not stop until you are dead. Yeah, and that's what it, that's what it was. So, um, millennia ago, Odin, Zeus, and Vishnu, the Great. Sky Fathers, they got their own little cool team, they got t-shirts, um, the Sky Fathers of their respective pantheons, they confront the third host of the Celestials. The Celestials are beings beyond gods mm. um, that tower over planets and the celestials explained that pretty soon they're going to judge whether humanity is fit to continue existing and <laughs> you gods should not interfere we're going to wipe them out if they're not and um what happens is uh they do not want to lose all their worshippers so the sky fathers go we will build something that can kill a celestial mm. and they create this armor the destroyer armor that can contain vast amounts of the energies of a god. Mm. Um, and in order to battle celestials. So the, it's not quite sure what really went on into it. It's just they had this thing. And they don't know where the metal came from or the enchantments used. But the armor is beyond Uru metal and beyond adamantium. Wow. The, uh, the destroyer was then tucked away into the Temple of Darkness until needed. Um, but it was found by Loki, who went, I will kill my brother in a blameless way. No one will be able to tie this back to me. You can get close to the, um, within arm's length of the destroyer, mm. and you your mind goes into the destroyer's armor and you control it. Ah, interesting. Okay, okay. Or you can set it off. There's so, different ways of doing it. Not Bluetooth then. Not quite, no. Asgardian Bluetooth. Um, well, Bluetooth does come from Viking runes. The logo is... That's true, yeah, from the, from, the, from the king. Yep. King Bluetooth. So, 
the <laughs> Bluetooth the most Eric Bluetooth. So, but but Loki found the destroyer to be too powerful and terrifying, and he could see how it's just destroying indiscriminately, and it's going to destroy Asgard, and he can't stop it. So he's like, "Oh, I've messed up. I've set this thing off, and I can't stop it. It will destroy Asgard. I won't have a throne. It'll probably kill me." So Odin's in the Odin sleep while this plan is happening. So Loki wakes him and he's like, Dad, I've messed up again. Um, Odin is able to bury, he destroys the Temple of Darkness and buries the Destroyer under all the rubble so he can't move. Mm. It has returned many, many times since then, often being controlled by a host and becoming a terrifying threat that Thor has to find a way to stop. Uh, it did eventually fight the Celestials. Oh, um, wow. The Celestials returned. Odin absorbed all the other Asgardians into himself, except for Thor, merged all their minds and spirits and souls. And then, like, this com- the combined uni-Asgardians entered the Destroyer armor. All mm. the power of all the Asgardians powering the, uh, the Destroyer, wielding the mighty Odin sword... Odin has got like a Bruce Wayne thing going on um, <laughs> and that managed to kill a celestial so it is stronger than anything indestructible virtually unstoppable yeah it's a bad mama jammer wow as Thor succumbs to his injuries Odin stirs in his Odin sleep at the sight of Mjolnir energy readings start to grow as the hammer activates suddenly the hammer launches into the sky at tremendous speed towards the town as the hammer reaches Thor, the Thunder God reaches up to grab it, transforming him back into a god in a blast of shining light. Thor is once again worthy. Using his recovered powers, Thor summons a whirlwind, dragging up the destroyer into the sky before smashing the automaton into the ground, defeating it. With Thor's powers back, he orders Sith and the Warriors free to head back to Asgard with him to take on Loki. But before he heads off, Coulson arrives, now realising that Dr. Donald Blake is indeed Thor. Before Coulson can speak further, Thor offers himself as an ally to S.H.I.E.L.D. on the condition that S.H.I.E.L.D. return Eric and Jane's equipment. As Coulson agrees, Thor offers to take Jane with him to the Bifrost Bridge. The way the Destroyer recovers from the impalement and turns its body around while still standing... So cool. Was, it's just, it reminds me of like the Terminator, <coughs> uh, T-1000 in Terminator 2, where it goes against a wall and suddenly from the same position, it sort of reverses in on itself. Oh, right clanky sort of oh hello this is actually ray harryhausen kind of uh, yes design to it love it also thor trying to sacrifice himself was a great moment and it came off well you know it was really it was, there was pathos there the transformation back i know so was, i have i have yeah. an issue so my, my issue with all of this is that i don't feel we saw any growth <laughs> in thor between him landing and this moment where he is now he is now the finished article Hmm. So, Thor is sent to Earth because he's arrogant, reckless, selfish, and bloodthirsty, and it endangers other people. Mm. So, he has some fun on Earth. (laughs) He (laughs) finds out he isn't worthy. He gets drunk. He fancies Jane. And then, out of the blue, he is now worthy. What did he do to earn this? And the answer, unfortunately, is nothing. He hasn't done anything to earn this. What were his trials and tribulations? Nothing. He didn't go through anything. He right? had to. He had to be in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just not. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't see him learn a lesson about arrogance or yeah. his lack of concern for innocent people. 
which is what seemed to peeve Odin off the most. Mm. Um, he likes his new friends on Earth, but he liked his old friends on Asgard. Didn't stop him from being reckless and everything. So we just need I just uh, one scene where he realizes my actions have consequences. My <laughs> reckless behavior can hurt innocent people. Oh no, it would have been so easy. And this is not a long movie. Like they could have fit it in. So mm. I, I I do I like the intent behind the sacrifice. I like the way it was shot. That uh, that big overhead shot of the destroyed yeah. town as we kind of slowly going for his sacrifice was really good. And it is showing he has changed and learned a lesson, but we never saw the change, the reason, the suffering. Yeah. We, never saw, we never saw that. We just needed that. Yeah, I get that. At the Bifrost Bridge, Loki greets Laufey and his fellow Jotuns and leads them into Asgard. As they walk past the frozen Heimdall, the sentry forces a muffled scream within the ice and it starts cracking. At the Bifrost site in the desert, Thor calls out to Heimdall to open the Bifrost Bridge, but hears no response. Hearing Thor's cry for assistance, Heimdall manages to break out of the ice and slays two of the Jotuns before opening the Bifrost Bridge. Thor tells Jane he must go back to Asgard, but will return to her, and the two of them kiss. Without a moment to lose, Thor and his Asgardian friends head home. Arriving back at Asgard, Thor and his friends close the bridge, with Thor going off to face Loki alone. In Odin's Odin sleep chamber, Frigga attempts to defend her husband against Laufey, but is knocked down in seconds. As the Jotun king gloats over the unconscious body of Odin before killing him, Laufey is murdered by Loki. The god of mischief has betrayed his conspirators to make himself appear to be the hero who saved the day. The next second, Thor returns and embraces his mother before ordering Loki to admit the deceptive acts he did against his brother. But Loki responds by blasting Thor out of the palace with his staff, revealing his plan to destroy Jotunheim using the Bifrost Bridge. So Loki kills his own father to protect his adopted father and he's going to kill his supposed home world. Or, you mm. know, is this something the movie has taken from the comics? Um, a little bit. Um, this is where we find out in the comics that Loki's timeline is a flat circle. <laughs> so recent um, comics introduce a story where Loki travels back in time to... Mm. Use Odin's father, Bor. We yeah. we know he was going to. We, we've already talked about how he used them against Thor. Mm. So what he does is he casts a powerful spell on Bor that causes him to slowly wither and basically it transforms him into snow. <laughs> uh, it mm. kills him as he's dying and transforms him into snow. Bor, as dying slowly, asks his son Odin for help to save him, but due to the animosity between them and Odin's lust for the throne of Asgard, he refuses to help his father. Ooh. Loki then keeps Bor trapped as a snowflake. Puts it in his pocket. <laughs> I'll use that against Thor in the future. <laughs> Loki also then transforms himself into, casts an illusion that makes him look like the ghost of Bor, and begins haunting Odin. <laughs> what a dick. He spends years haunting Odin, damning him for not saving Bor when he had the chance, driving Odin to the brink of madness. Finally, after many years of haunting him, Loki, as the ghost of Bor, tells Odin, there is one way you can absolve yourself of this great sin. If you adopt the son of a fallen king, your crimes will be wiped Oh, I get that. Something which Odin vows to do. 
time-travelling Loki then manipulates Laufrey into attacking Asgard's armies, trying to kill Odin, the battle which leads to Laufrey's downfall. So Odin is about to murder Laufrey, but doesn't, leaves him on the brink, leaves him for dead, badly beaten, defeated, and then sees a now almost orphaned child, the child of a fallen king, Loki, baby Loki, and take or child Loki, and realizes his vow by adopting Loki, all engineered by Loki. Um, and and Loki has engineered this to ensure he will be raised as a royal prince of Asgard, a hair away from the throne, and then when Odin has departed with orphaned child Loki, future Loki finishes off his plan by murdering his own father um <laughs> killing Laufey's revenge for all the abuses he suffered at the the frost giant's hands as a child because he's a child not a baby in the comics when he went ah of course of course so there thor- we go a flat circle of loki's timeline bloody hell thor catches up to loki at the bifrost bridge and attempts to deactivate it the bifrost bridge is currently attacking jotunheim attacking jalfi's palace with tremendous power Loki tells Thor that he's destroying Jotunheim to prove to Odin that he is a worthy son. Thor calls out his plan as an act of a madman, and Loki challenges brother to fight him, wanting to be his equal. Loki accuses his brother of going soft and makes threats against Jane, angering Thor into a fight. The battle throws both brothers onto the Bifrost Bridge itself, with Loki hanging precariously on the edge. Loki begs for his brother's help, but the moment Thor reaches out, Loki disappears. A trick. The real Loki laughs from behind and stuns Thor with his spear, mockingly laughing at Thor as more illusions of Loki surround him. Thor angrily bellows enough and knocks the real Loki to the floor. Standing over his brother, Thor places Mjolnir on Loki's chest, pinning him in place. Struggling against the Bifrost energy, Loki goes back to the Bifrost tower to stop Loki's plan. However, the force is too much for Thor, and as Loki taunts his weakness, Thor does the only thing he can think of. He retrieves Mjolnir and smashes it against the Bifrost Bridge. The moment Thor starts destroying the bridge, Odin awakes from his sleep. I forgot that Loki basically betrays Jotunheim in this film. I always remember, for some reason, I remember him valuing it more than Asgard. I don't know why I had that memory. To begin with, it looks like that, doesn't it? Because it spends most of the movie looking like he's actually wants Laufey's um, affection and he's working for the Frost Giants. And then at the end of the movie, you get the reveal... Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So, has the Bifrost ever been destroyed in the comic book universe? Several times, actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, several times. And remember, in the in the comic books, it's an actual kind of like rainbow mm. road. Um, there was a there have been several Ragnaroks over the years. Ragnaroks mm. over the years. Um, it's just how it happens. In in there's a cycle of them in the Marvel comics. Um, in two thousand and four. There's a twilight of the gods. The, all the Asgardians die. Asgard crumbles. The Bifrost is, is is destroyed. And then when Asgard returns, it's kind of back again. Mm. I think the most recent one is quite dramatic. Is there's a, a being called the Mangog, which is <laughs> the physical manifestation and sum total of the hatred of a billion beings from a <laughs> race that was slaughtered by Odin. The reason wow. behind the slaughter is not revealed, and it is written that it could have been a war, or it could have been something as simple as one of them spoke to him the wrong way. Um, 
bloodthirsty Odin. Have um, you had trouble paying back your your hatred? Why not consolidate it into an easy package? Into, into one easy, manageable Mangog. <laughs> Mangog. Um, Mangog. So the Mangog is this rampaging beast, unstoppable force. Um, and when he attacks Asgard, he um, he approaches Asgard on the Bifrost. He shatters Heimdall's sword and stabs Heimdall in the face with the broken shards to blind him. Mm. Um, the Asgardians try to use the Bifrost to send Mangog away, but the beast is so powerful that the act of transporting him shatters the Bifrost Oof. completely. Watching his brother in shock, Loki yells at Thor, telling him that if he destroys the bridge, he'll never see Jane again. Just as Thor goes to deliver a final smash, Loki creeps up behind him and pounces on him. But as Thor finally breaks the bridge, both brothers are blown back from the energy explosion. Just as Thor falls into the gaping abyss beneath the bridge, he is suddenly caught by Odin, with Loki grabbing onto Thor's hand. Loki screams at his father that he could have done his plan for everyone but before willingly letting himself fall into the swirling vortex below as his brother and father cry out to him. I, I just can't <clears throat> picture Loki sacrificing himself like this, but now it makes more sense after he, the recent stuff. He isn't sacrificing himself. What's he doing? He doesn't want Thor to save him. Oh, like, his, so he's, spite, he's, he's spiting... Yeah, oh. it's a spite death. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want to do... What, what, what's, what's the reason for this death? For spite. For spite, for spite, like he just doesn't. He his ego will not let like him live at Thor's mercy. He's too right. arrogant and twisted. I get it. I get like, it. Like, oh, you saved me. I don't think so. so. I mean, also the fact, the very fact that he appears at the end of this, perfectly fine. So, if you stop the movie when the movie ends before the credits roll, hmm. I'd say it's a spite death. If you watch to the post credits and you see him fine yeah. and well, I go, he had a plan. He had an yeah. escape route. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Back on Earth, Jane, Eric, and Darcy stare up at the sky, unable to believe that Thor has gone. Meanwhile in Asgard, order is restored to the kingdom as Odin takes the throne once again. At a celebratory feast, Sif and the Warriors three regale everyone with their recent adventures. Thor sadly passes his mother as Sif tells Frigga she is sorry for her loss. Thor is mourning for his brother and Mrs. Jane, the mortal woman he fell in love with. Approaching Odin, his father tells Thor that he'll grow to be a wise king. Thor tells his father that he still has much to learn and hopes to make Odin proud one day. But Thor has already made Odin proud. At the ruin of the Bifrost Bridge, Heimdall tells Thor that Earth isn't truly lost to them and that Heimdall can still see Jane from where they are and that she is still searching for him. I don't know what it is about this time, but the ending gave me some shivers, the way Jane is still searching for him, and it's kind of not bittersweet. There's some happiness, but there's some sadness too. Yeah. It's nice. Bittersweet so, is, is what Marvel lives and breathes on, I think. <laughs> yeah, we, we said that before. Yeah, absolutely. So does Thor ever replace his father and become king of Asgard? Yeah. Um, when when Malekith, the, the accursed, the dark elf, wages his War of the Realms... And all looks lost for Asgard and, and, and Midgard. It's all terrible. He's assembled a truly terrifying force of multiple armies and beasts. Mm. And he's taken Odin. I mean, Odin and Odin's wife, Riga, prisoner. And they can't do anything during all this. So it's Thor has been beaten time and time again by Malekith. Um, Thor nails himself to Yggdrasil, the world tree. Mm. Um, which, at this time, has taken root in the heart of the sun. <laughs> He sacrifices his left eye, like his father, for knowledge. 
Wow. But it's not a good enough sacrifice. Okay. He still gets nothing. The last it, it has to be the most important thing to him. And what he has left is a broken the last shards of Mjolnir hmm. by which he is hoping to reforge it, but he realizes that's the bigger sacrifice. So he sacrifices the last shards of Mjolnir. And it gives him the knowledge of how to defeat uh, Malekith. Mm. And he ends up um, gaining, uh, teaming up with a, a previous version of himself and a future version of himself, and then Jane Foster's Thor, and he reforges Mjolnir and the God Tempest, and he does all these incredibly very cool things and kills Malekith. And, and wins the war and saves Odin. And Odin is like, hey, I've just been tied up for this whole war. I was useless. You, <laughs> sa- you've you done literally everything I did to become king, including sacrifice yourself on a world tree and cut out your own eye. And mm. you did it all. And so Odin kneels before Thor and proclaims him the new Allfather. And he takes the throne of Asgard. Wow. Meanwhile, at a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility, Dr. Selvig meets with S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury to start work for them. After the incident in New Mexico, Selvig's work has impressed S.H.I.E.L.D. scientists, and Nick Fury reveals that he wants Selvig to research the Tesseract. With Selvig's help, they can tap its power. As Selvig stares at the glowing cube, Loki, invisible from mortals, is revealed to be manipulating Selvig's mind, coveting the power that the Tesseract withholds. From phase one so far, I think this is the best post-credit scene yet. I know what you mean. I have to say, Nick Fury Nick Fu- uh, recruiting Tony Stark is, is Samuel L. Jackson. It's the best. It's the yeah. debut of Nick Fury, and it's yeah. Samuel L. Jackson's doing it. And he says Avengers. I gotta go with that one, really. But like this, this is one. really good. This is really good. There we have it. Thank you to Will for ably guiding us through the first Thor movie from 2011. Remastered here on Marvel vs. Marvel. I'd love to know, Will, your favourite slices of Marvel trivia that we've uncovered today. Well, I mean, there was uh, Jane Foster being horrible to her employer. Oh. his disability, why? which is really Why harsh. aren't you more like a god? <laughs> well, why, why don't you... Why don't your legs work, Dr. Blake? Why can't have they you, fly? Why have you tried believing harder? <laughs> um, and then there was also... Uh, also, uh, Loki in a flat circle killing his own father, which is just mental. And, is yeah, and, mani- and haunting Odin. <laughs> I'm the ghost of your father! Yeah, Adopt a baby! That's mad, but I, 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 I loved... Uh, stealing Sif's hair, making her bald as a cabbage, and then she'll never be blonde again. And then she gets, she turns into a hot, black-haired woman, and this plan goes to rubbish. Nothing, nothing but trivia here on MVM. <laughs> um, your final thoughts on this movie, please, Mister Hollywood. Well, I'd say my initial thoughts is the first few times I watched this film, I always felt uh, with a, it was a small movie with not much happening, but a lot actually really does happen. I mean. There's so much to love. Thor works great when there's a bit of comedy, but not too silly, that perfect balance. The supporting cast, just great. Uh, the designs of Asgard and Jotunheim really capture the imagination and move the MCU towards something that's a lot more grander than we've ever seen. 
Uh, the Shakespearean way the story is set up just works beautifully for this character. It really, I know they had a hard time and difficulty really figuring out how they're going to transfer it to the sc screen, but for a first outing, they did well, I think. The only thing, uh, I think it would be nice to see more Thor doing more superhero stuff. We only get to see him do stuff at the beginning and the end. But still, I'm really happy with the fish out of water scenes we got. I think if I could, if there's anything I could change about it, I would have maybe uh, delved a bit more into how Asgard is and spent more time there before going to Earth. As well as your suggestion, which is uh, make Thor actually have a character growth. <laughs> he did have the growth, but just didn't see why. What was what 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 was it? We saw the end result. Um, thank you, <laughs> Will, and thank you to everyone for listening. Our reading list for today's episode: um, Axis is a fun is a fun Marvel story. If you want to mm. see uh, the God of Heroics, um, but the three writers I think are probably pretty cool to check out on Thor. Check out J. Michael Straczynski's Thor. He's the guy behind Babylon 5. Kieran Gillen's Thor, uh, hometown hero from my hometown of Stafford. And Matt Fraction's Thor, all very, very good runs. In our next episode, Daredevil and Wilson Fisk are back in the MCU. Me and Will are going to dive into the murky underbelly of the Marvel Universe with the Echo series. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel